Let's see if we can. Uh. Okay, I thought that was going to happen, so I already have my napkin at the ready. Hey guys, welcome to episode 117 of CMD Towers, Brews, and Builds. I'm Mr. Condor 5, and my fellow host, every morning to get out of bed, does a furious rise, Big Tuck. I do wake up angry often. Um, for those who aren't on video, <laughs> this is, uh, I got a... Uh, Advent calendar of wines from the Costco. So oh, this that's is day cool. number two. Uh, portrait of a wallflower in Merlot. So Mr. Combo, um, what would you say is my biggest thing I terrorized since I moved to Charlotte? Uh, parking lots. Correct. Now, most of them have been around bars, breweries, and perhaps maybe a grocery store or two. What level of depravity do you think that I've sunk to in my parking lot misadventures this very evening before I got on the podcast. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm going to have to tell you what I want to say in person, but I can't say it on a recording because I'm pretty sure the NSA is listening. Um, so I'll go for the PG one that you won't get put on a list for. Okay. I'm going to say a library. Uh, that's close. Does our guest have a, does our guest have a guess? Um, man, if library was close, I'm, I'm, I want something that would be horrifying. So like a daycare or something. See, that's what I was oh. going to say, but I was worried that like, I'd get like, I had to put, you know, put on some guys. like you know, predator <laughs> list. Uh, no, this is one of the most Southern things that I've happened down here. Uh, I tonight made out in the parking lot of a gun range. Oh my god. Where? That is very, very southern. I mean, at least you guys weren't making out while shooting the Correct. guns. That's super uh, southern. That is super southern. The worst part was I had to really tuck my tail between the legs because it was her first time ever shooting a gun that wasn't an airsoft or a BB. And she destroyed me in terms of accuracy oh, really? and consistency. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I really had to. I really had to pucker up for that. If you get the drift. What What you didn't realize is that your date was the number two airsoft player, like in oh. <laughs> uh, the Eastern Hemisphere or something. I don't, she was really good, um, but she also has really good vision. So anyways, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. That's my big excitement on this Thursday evening that we're recording. Mr. Combo, uh, I'm bringing this bit back. Uh, you look very tired. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, just telling Tuck. So obviously, guys, this is... Uh I'm going to do this every time we have a guest because I never write it down and it's more fun to just start spurting out words. Is it December-thon, guest-a-thon, guest-simber? Guest-simber. Guest-simber. All right. So uh, out of order, so I have no idea, but it's basically like it just turned December, like beginning of the month. And uh, as a lot of you know, I had to have hernia surgery the week of Thanksgiving on the Monday. Uh, wasn't a big deal. Like, it's all fine. But... Weirdly enough, uh, guess who shall not be named for another 90 seconds. Um, ever since I had the surgery, I can't go to bed earlier than like 2 or 3 a.m. Um, I have the worst insomnia. Like right now, I am physically and mentally and emotionally exhausted. But I know when I get done recording with you guys, I'm going to literally go upstairs and I'm going to take my nighttime aids, and I'm going to be up for another and five you're gonna, hours. And you're going to be playing Halo Infinite till three in the morning. No, no. I, I actually, I've been putting on, so like a, a mechanism for me to help fall asleep is I put on like 30-minute sitcoms that I've already watched. And I don't oh. have any interest in re-watching, but it's background noise, and it's interesting enough that it's like, I don't hate it, and I just want the TV off. Right. But I'm not interested enough that I want to watch. So I've even been doing that, because I do that, uh, Tuck, uh completely you know at four o'clock on a wednesday and i'm down You're for a out. nap yeah. within 30 minutes yeah it's kind of like uh when people have children and it's like oh yeah when i put the baby to sleep i put on this song and they always go to sleep for me right. it's uh big bang theory or modern family oh 
Uh, so yeah, Big basically for a nine days in a row now, I have not gone to bed earlier than 2 a.m. I believe, and for the last few nights, it's been like three. Ugh. So yeah, it sucks. I'm gonna have to call my doctor tomorrow and see if I can get a prescription for some trazodone or something, something uh, to kind of help. So that's what I've been dealing with, which really, really sucks. But the good thing about having insomnia is uh, the last couple nights, I have been spending lots of time down in the CMD Tower headquarters, a.k.a. my own house basement. Uh, redacted guest who shall not be named. I do Nailed not live it. in my mom's yeah, basement. Like that. Uh, so I've started doing all my altar or the mythic sleeves that mm, just came yes. in. So I've been mythic sleeving all my decks. Uh, I got four of the mythic sleeve sets. So... Hey, nothing like unsleeving and resleeving hundred card decks at two a.m. when you just want to die. Just living the dream, man. That's what that's what we all want to be doing in our deepest hearts. Well, for December Bruise and Builds one seventeen, we do have a fan favorite. He was on back in yesteryear. It's Dana Roach from uh, the EDH Retcast and CMDR Central. Dana, hello. Hello. Good evening. How's it going? Well, I mean, I guess I'm close to death, I guess. It's like, I ha I'm not sleeping, getting surgery. That sounds absolutely awful. I'm in the opposite. I'm making out in parking lots left, right, and center. <laughs> uh, just living the dream down here as a 33-year-old man. Oh, God. Well, Dana, what are you doing? Hopefully, you could bring some adulthood to this cast. I, I have um, a little, like, quiet period going on right now this week, for the most part, for work. But it's been, that's been kicking my butt lately. Um, yeah, we've, we've got some some auditing that we've had to get done. Um, I, I work in IT, so um, trying to like get ready for this big audit coming in January or so has had me busy. So I, I, I've been traveling quite a bit to remote sites to get like new yeah. versions of hardware put into place. And um, I, I had an article I'd have ready for EDH Rec two weeks ago, I think, when I was traveling for work that I'd forgotten about. So I finished you oh, know, no. doing firewall upgrades at like 2 in the morning and got back to the hotel room. I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. I'm like, I didn't do my article. So I started trying to write it on the sofa. And then, you know, within yeah. like two minutes, I'm doing like head bobs. So, <laughs> so I tried to like, I had to improvise a standing desk. So I got up and like got all the all the cushions <laughs> off the sofa and the pillows and like basically made a an improvised standing desk so I could stand on my laptop for like 45 minutes and just finish this article to get it done and get it submitted and then of course once I finished it I, I can sympathize with your your story about insomnia I submitted it I'm like all right finally and then I of course could not fall asleep for like two hours yeah. after that. so <laughs> despite fighting you know every instinct in my body to, to stay awake for the previous hour once it was time to go to sleep i was like too tired to fall asleep almost i was sure yeah, I, yeah. The, the exhaustion had me to the point where i just couldn't fall like i would yawn myself awake i'd be there like finally dozing and i would like <laughs> let loose this like a titanic yawn that would wake me up that dana the number one thing that usually gets me that snaps me back to the awake and it's always so frustrating i gotta go take a pee oh yeah. and as sure. soon as i go to the restroom and i start to use the restroom it's like up. Oh, that just woke me up. Apparently, my my urine was a sleep aid in my body, and I just got rid of all of it. And now I'm wide awake again. Let's do some Sudoku. I literally can't relate to this because when I was visiting my parents in Maine, I literally slept through a nor'easter that came through and knocked down trees <laughs> in the neighborhood. 
And I thought it was like, oh, I guess it's just the house settling because I was in like their new building that they <laughs> oh built up there God. on top of the garage. And then I got up. My mom's like, did you hear what happened last night? I was like, I don't know. The floorboards are kind of creaky. She was like, no, there's like the biggest storm that we've had since we've been out here. I was like, uh, where's my coffee? I can't recall if I've told this story, but I'll, I'll quick briefly tell it because it's on the same trip. So like the next day then after I was up all night, I, I came back. I went to the office again. This was like kind of Sunday. So I was working when no one was around. And I came back to the hotel at a reasonable while where it was like eight o'clock at night on a Sunday night and walked in and I'm like, oh, that dude sitting in the lobby looks a lot like former wrestler Sergeant Slaughter. How funny is that? <laughs> and then I paused, like literally there, I'm like, my, you know, like my brain is thinking aloud. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but how many 70 year old dudes look like that with like the <laughs> giant <laughs> jaw and that mustache? And I'm like, how many 70 year olds look like Sergeant it's, Slaughter? It's probably just Sergeant Slaughter. And I kind of like, turned back around and gave him a look again. And I'm like, it's just him. So I, I didn't want to like bug him. It's like Sunday night. He's yeah. talking to somebody. So then the next day I came down and, and walked up the, the concierge. I'm like, am I a crazy person? Or did I see former WWE wrestler Sergeant Slaughter in the lobby last night? And the concierge is like, well, you know, company policy, we can't confirm or deny who may be staying here. But but I wouldn't question my sanity if I were you. And I'm like, yeah, all right. That was, that was not sleep deprivation. Would have been better or worse if he was like, not the actual one. There's actually right, a WWE LARPing group that's staying here. So The, the better one would have been the, uh, the, the bell guy, Dana, just being like, sir. Sergeant Sergeant Slaughter died here right. six months yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I haven't that heard that name amazing. since the accident two years I, ago. I was so <laughs> sleep deprived, I would have believed that too. Like, oh, he died at the, the 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 Marriott Courtyard in Akron, Ohio. I had no idea. <laughs> oh man. Well, Dana, uh, you do content literally all over the community you're you're a gym so if anyone out there in the multiverse has not heard of you though and knows where to find your content what's the best way for our community to get a hold of you the edh Recast is a both a podcast and a youtube channel you can you can find me there um i have another podcast cmdr central so just do a search for for, for that show you can find it pretty easily and i write articles Roughly once a month for Commanders Herald and for EDH Trek as well, so you can find me find me there um, opining on various things also. And uh, you're on Twitter as well. What's your Twitter handle? Um, at Dana Roach. So easy to find. Oh, that is easy. The one, the only, the legend. Uh, unlike Big Tuck, it's is it Big Tuck tweets? Big Tuck's Twitter? Uh, at Big Tuck tweeting. Well, I, I just used my full name. I didn't really think it through because I, I wasn't doing content then when I made a Twitter handle, so I just did my name. And at some point. Um, Don Miner, who runs EDH Rec, we were chatting about something. He's like, by the way, is, is Dana Roach your actual name? Or is that like a, just a name you use for stuff online? Yeah. And I'm like, do you think I have the, why would I make that up for a name? <laughs> of all the, if I could choose any name in the world. You're clearly a wrestler fan. You know, maybe you're like, I guess oh, Roach like, coming in. But maybe, yeah. I was like, I, I just definitely was not a combination of names I would pick if I was trying to come up with a really cool like magic I like kind of like Dana because it's like an extra A instead of DNA so it's like Roach DNA you know like, <laughs> oh my god it all kind of flows together <laughs> guys this Merlot is strong <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's amazing. Yeah, you guys should definitely go check them out. Um, CMDR Central was the second uh, podcast I actually ever discovered about magic. Um, you know, loved listening to you guys. Granted, uh, does Max still have that damn Tuvasa deck? He does. He does. He still plays Oh, my it. gosh. Oh, my gosh. That thing, I don't think he'll ever dismantle it because it seemed like every episode it was like, oh, man, Tuvasa just got an upgrade. Yeah, oh, yep. man, <laughs> Tuvasa's his, doing this. That was his squeeze all the, redacted deck. Yes, it definitely yeah. was. But the, the, the weird thing, though, or not weird thing, I guess it kind of is because it's not common. Usually when you hear someone talk about a deck a lot, there's usually not a lot of success with it. Uh, and it seemed like every time it'd be like, oh, yeah, threw a bunch of auras on there, and I smacked the dude for 55. <laughs> it was just like, oh, my God. Does this guy never have a bad game with that deck? So, funny. Yeah, he, he's a he's a big tinkerer, too, and I think he was just shocked that, like, this deck I built worked exactly like I thought it would work. <laughs> Well, guys, if you would like to support CMD Tower, um, help us constantly improve our equipment. 2022 hopefully will be an exciting year. Me and Tucker starting to look at the road trip. Uh, start, you know, reaching out to other content creators, you know, popping on their YouTube channels or their things in their cities. Uh, so we can only do that, though, through your support at our Patreon, patreon.com slash cmdtower. Uh, we have tiers literally that start at a buck for the Discord. You really get the meat and potatoes, though, at least at the $5 tier. I think that's where you get a squeeze coin. You get RK post tokens, you get stickers, you get put into deck therapy, you get a whole lot of stuff for just that five bucks. Uh, but of course, the more exciting thing that everyone's talking about now is our holiday sweater and sale that we're doing just for December. So you guys have seen it on Twitter, you've seen it on our uh, store. I think I've even, uh, I haven't had a chance to wear it yet, but I am gonna wear it on a stream here coming up. We do have an amazing Jund holiday sweater. It has the CMD Tower crew on there. It has your grains, hops, and yeast. It has your magic symbols. It's awesome. Uh, it's 100% combed cotton, insanely soft. We have a very, very limited number, so it is going to be first come, first serve. Just go to cmdtower.com merch, and you'll see it. And make sure you notice the top banner, because when you buy the sweater, you can get a pack of CMD Tower sleeves for $1.99. So literally, redacted bit, get these effing sleeves out of my basement. It was the biggest mistake to get a thousand of them. I will definitely pay 10 times more for sleeves in the future to get less. So please go buy them. I want to get rid of them, please. <laughs> Now, if you're a existing patron um, and you want to refer someone to the collective, be sure that they message us on Patreon because we do a referral program. Depending on what tier they do, we'll either, you know, do something cool for you. Uh, we could give you free swag. It just kind of depends. So please make sure you let them know because it seems like a lot of people in our community know each other and kind of refer to each other, but no one ever lets us know who referred who or any of that. So I want to reward you guys. So let, let me know. It, it, Not a mind Like reader. the little tiny things matter too. Like I remember, you know, first thinking about supporting people on Patreon. I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't, I can't afford to spend, you know, ten bucks a month on this yep. thing. Like, like a buck or two a month to support a show that that provides you with like six or eight hours, hours worth of enjoyment listening to it. That's worth. I do not ever feel rate. remotely bad. Like a, a buck is worth it, and I. Yep. I really appreciate anybody who can support me at that level too. Like any little bit matters. Um, if you can do more, do more, but like, don't feel bad if all you can afford is a buck or something. It, it does add up and means a lot to, to people making content. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And 
And Dana, and I'm curious your your position on this because this is the way that that me and Tuck have felt. Uh, because you know, after all the fees and stuff on Patreon, you know, the dollar it, do, it doesn't really go very far. But the thing that I get the most enjoyment about people joining um, at our entry level, it's really just like more people in the Discord. It's more yeah. people talking, more people firing off games. That's really the big thing. It's you know, uh, content. I mean, I guess if you had a million people at a dollar a month, right. you know, you, you'd, you'd make a ton. But the average content creator, guys, when you see the those entry level things where it's like, I mean, that's such a small amount of money. Like, are they even making any money? They really aren't. They actually just have that tier there to get you into the community because they want to make it easily accessible. We're not trying to make yeah. this a, a country club. We're trying to make it for the people. Absolutely. Like, it, it, I always figured, particularly early on, like, if I can cover my my $25 Libsyn hosting fee, yep. like, <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing if I could, like, just get to that point where, like, I, I could break even on, on, on hosting costs? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys this video and audio today is brought to you from our amazing producer for brews and builds t-coats at underscore t-coats tyler does all the audio and video for brews and builds for the channel he does the artwork so when you see uh dana's beautiful face up there with the commander that we're going to be talking about today tyler's one that does that when you saw bevers in with the mtg4 news crew a couple weeks ago Tyler's the one that does that. So big thing that Tyler's looking for, guys, is leave comments. Send us messages. Let us know how we can improve the videos, the audio, the art. Because unless we get the feedback, we're just going to kind of keep doing the same thing because we think you like it. And if you have fresh ideas, we want to hear the fresh ideas. Because if you're not evolving and growing, you're just kind of staying still. And we want to make sure that we are not passing the turn and we're advancing the board state. Ba-ba-bum. Ba-ba-bum. So Bruise of Builds is our deck tech series. Since we conquered the path to 32, the 12 themes of EDH decks, we have moved on to a segment called Say Yes to the Deck. This will Ooh. comprise today of both Tuck and myself building a deck online specifically geared towards the playstyle for Dana, but still challenging potentially how he plays EDH. At the end, we will see if Dana says yes to the deck, but of course, the heart of brews and builds is still here. So we describe the brewing of this deck similar to how beer is brewed. So we broke it down into four different categories. The first one's ramp instead of your board state. We call that grain. Yes, and grapes are the foundation of every wine. They include both base malts and specialty <laughs> malts, uh, or vines, or strains, if you will. Usually in a 60 to 40 ratio, this helps with the color, the taste, and most importantly, all the alcohol content of a wine. Decks always need ways to grow, stabilize, and ramp into bigger threats. And just like a grape profile, they're usually a mix of staples and specialty cards. <laughs> the next is how does your board interact with all of your opponents? We call that hops. Tannins give the wine its patented bitterness <laughs> and rosy flavors. They grow in a variety of cellular structures and help distinguish subcategories like Merlot's. Our tannin choices help clear and interact with the board so your deck can ultimately do what it wants. Uh, the next is how does your deck close out and win the game? And I will say, Tuck and I loaded this deck with game winners. We call that yeast. And yeast are living microorganisms that eat the sugar from the grain and poop out alcohol and CO2. It adds alcohol content without carbon and carbonation. Without yeast, you'd be drinking flat sugar water. And without yeast cards, your deck would meet the goal of actually winning the game. And then we have shenanigans. This could be pet card synergies. And I will say, I was shocked we had as many as we did building this deck um, that are just kind of fun. We call that spice. Not every wine has them, but spices and other additives help separate a normal stock wine from a specialty one. It could be the apples that turn a Merlot into a cider, or perhaps nope. the additions of <laughs> West Coast grapes that turn a Pinot into a Grige. 
Uh, not every duck has something that makes it pop, but this is where we, this is where we gently talk about it. The, were you trying to do like some West Side Story thing? I don't know. Like, oh, the West Coast, and it goes to the East. Like, it, California grows its own grapes, and then like East Coast and New Jersey, they do as well. I don't know. I'm not a wine wait, guy. Wait, I'm pretty sure they don't grow wine in Jersey. Yeah, they do. They grow, they grow. They grow depression in Jersey. That's what oh, they that's grow. True. Depression and is also what they have. A lot of a lot of meth as well. <laughs> well, hey, Kansas City, we have our run yeah. at meth as well. <laughs> And then to cap it or to cork it off, we have a <laughs> bottle corking, uh, which it. Dana will make some recommendations to the deck that are under $5, under 50 bucks, and a no-budget recommendation. We just can't talk about mana-only lands. So without further ado, let's get fermenting. So today, we are talking Anex and Dana's Oops All Permanence deck. So... We had reached out to Dana, and we thought it would be fun because, as you guys know, for season three of Bruise and Builds, we've started doing, like, Say Yes to the Deck and uh, Theory Crafting, Chaos Draft. Yeah, we've created, like, some of these fresh ideas. And, yeah, it is easier just for our, especially the guests that have been on before, to say, hey, we're just doing, like, a normal old episode. But... I remember that we had so much fun with you last time, Dana, that I wanted to open it up. And so I'd kind of sent Dana the descriptions, and he was like, you know what? I'm pretty flexible. And so I thought the most fun would be is for us to do a say yes to the deck and for Dana to give us an archetype that maybe he's been eyeballing, something he's been interested in. So he landed on an Anex Hardened in the Forge deck, but his condition, like my Brutoclad, he wanted all permanents. So, Tuck, why don't you read what Anex is and does? And then, Dana, why is this a deck that you're like, you know what? Let me see what you guys can come up with. Um, and why are you interested in building this archetype? Yes, and Anax Hardened in the Forge is an uncommon from the recent set of Theros Beyond Death. For one colorless and double red, it's a star three legendary enchantment creature demigod. Its power is equal to de your devotion to red. And then whenever Anax or another non-token creature you control dies, create a 1-1 one, one red satyr creature token with this creature can't block. If the creature had power four or greater, create two of those tokens instead. And Dana, before we get into this any further, I just wanted to let you know that uh, Mr. Combo and I completely came up with our own individual cards for this. We did not sit down and think about okay. what the strategy would be. We kind of really picked it out kind of out of our own separate hats. So there's definitely going to be some variations on uh, on what we might think is good or not. But I will say this. I gave Tuck my list because I got mine done day of. So he right. did at least. I don't know if you referenced mine at all, but he at least had some access. I did. I did. But, I did. Oh, okay. Um, so Dana, why did you want us to look at an Anex? And why were you interested in this? And especially all permanents. So... Uh... This this was the last deck I needed to finish my 15. You know, I have 10 decks. I have every color combination, two colors. I had every monocolor deck except for mono red. So mono oh, red was okay. the, last, gotcha. the last thing I had for one. Um, there's a couple of cards I will touch on later on that I've, that I've had lying around for a few years that I really want to use that we best use in a mono red deck, particularly kind of a combat-based mono red deck. Um, mm -hmm. So that made sense in, in that regard. Um, I also wanted something that, because I tend to tinker a lot with my decks. I, I'm, you know, every time a new set comes out, I've got a spreadsheet up where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna add these three cards and take out these three cards, and and Ugh. even in between, I, I I make a lot of changes. I I really that's part of the game I enjoy is 
tweaking my decks. The problem with that is even if I'm not running, you know, CEDH mana, if you just make 15 small changes to a deck, presumably all positive changes per year, that adds up. And eventually, like, your decks have just gotten more and more powerful. So I, I was trying to think of a way I could have this be a deck that I could still tinker with all I wanted to, but there's going to be a hard cap. Mono Red, mm. where I don't have access to instants or sorceries, is a deck that I felt like I could really tinker with this whenever I wanted to. I could add all the things I want to add, and there's just only so far I could push that power level, and I can still sit down with somebody who's only been playing a year or so and has you know not the strongest grasp of the game or doesn't have the deepest card pool, and... I'm just limited to to how strong this deck can be. I've just always have something sitting at that like six-ish power level that is almost impossible to push past that point. Sure. Um, but I also still can do things with it. I can still have fun and like tweak it and, and do what I want to do. Yeah. And kind of the last thing then was just coincidentally enough, like I have built an enchantress deck that didn't have any artifacts in it, and I've built a equipment deck that like just I, I was down to one or two enchantments, so I'm like, well, I might as well just run no enchantments in that deck, and I'll run a couple spells that can mm-hmm. blow out enchantments. Um, I happen to have a, a deck that only has the commander for the creature. I've built decks with no Planeswalker, so I'm like, well, the last thing is, like, if I build this deck that doesn't have instant or sorceries, I will have a deck of that, that doesn't, of every card type is missing from <laughs> some of my decks. The question is so, lands. I didn't. I didn't hear lands. I guess oh lands, yeah, no yeah. Lands. I guess I still have. I don't have a deck with no lands. I guess. But. Uh, so, question for you. Just this is more my curiosity than anything. We we built this and tapped out, uh, Mr. Combo and I. That's kind of our the easiest way that we do it for this podcast. It's just kind of our comfort zone. When you're when you're cataloging these decks, do you just do it in a spreadsheet, or is there a specific app, website, whatever that you prefer to store the actual card data is in the listen. I, I've been using Architect. Uh, I like Moxfield quite a bit too. Um, uh, Moxfield, I, I would honestly say I probably like Moxfield a little bit more, but I don't like it enough to justify the work of moving my stuff over yeah. necessarily. Um, and it, they were nice enough, the developers at Architect were nice enough to add a feature behind the scenes where I can export a deck list into... The, the text that I can use on an EDH rec article. So I can make a deck in Architect, hit a button, and like just cut and paste the information in an EDH rec article I'm writing. Nice. And it's all formatted oh. the way I want. So that saves me time too. So nice. um, That's awesome. I'm still using Architect, even though I probably like Moxfit a little bit more for in, in terms of building, but not enough to, to do the work or or, or yeah. want to reformat a deck list into an article I write every single time. Yeah, that's the issue that Tuck and I are in because Tapped Out has just gone downhill, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and it's But we've been using it for seven plus years. I have all 42 of my decks on here, yep. plus all the deck, like, so I'll have your deck on there. So I probably have 60 or 70 decks that I'd have to export to a new site. And the biggest challenge that I have is that what, however Tapped Out does their list, because I am someone that I use the tool to catalog my collection, at least the ones that I have in decks. Yep. And so I put the card edition, I put foil, non-foil, I do all that stuff. And tapped out, the formatting is not compatible with anyone else. Yeah. You have right. It's like you copy paste it and then you still have to go line by line and edit. And I think it's as simple as just like deleting the parentheses. 
when you do that it goes away but i haven't figured out a way to mass just delete all parentheses on an excel sheet or something so i'm with you there, there's there's probably better stuff out there or stuff that you enjoy more but just the hassle of having to move it's just too much and to, to, to answer the question a little bit more about about actually how do i brew um i'm a very slow deck builder and i also tend to not build anything that's new um, I, I do have a Tavash Gloom Summoner deck, who I think came out that last summer. Um, so it's like three or four months old. Um, that's the newest deck I have, and that's probably the newest deck I've built in a lot of years, is one that's like three or four months old. I guess Anax now being, like, this is traditionally how I do it. A commander's been out for probably two years. That's when I start looking at it. And even then, I'll, I'll like, pick a commander I want to build or something. I'll throw a rough list up because, like, I'll have an idea in my head. Like, okay, I'll try it like this. I'll throw a list up on whatever deck builder I'm using, Architect in this case. And then I'll walk away from it, usually, for, like, a week or two weeks. And at some point when I'm doing something or, like, I'm in a boring meeting from work and I don't need to pay attention, I'll bring the list up and add a few cards that I've thought of in the last week and take a few out. And, like, that process of me thinking about a deck, like, I've had decks that have kind of been in that stage for a year or 18 months sometimes until I get to the point oh, wow. where... I've kind of tinkered with it enough or I've let it sit in my brain enough that I'm ready to actually get the cards or, or, or cut it to 100 or whatever. So I'm super slow about it. Uh, I, I'm just laughing because both me and Mr. Cum were like, here's the idea for a deck. Do I have the cards <laughs> to build it? No? Okay, great. I'm going to go buy them and then play it on Sunday and maybe not play it again for another six months. Yeah, like I have yeah, probably... Yeah, pretty much. Over and over and over and over I have over like probably again. 12 to 18 decks sitting that are that are hidden on my Architect, my Architect account that are that have been sitting there for you know weeks or months or, or longer even that I occasionally bring up and we'll go back to and revisit and be like okay is anything new for this have I got any new ideas it's it's just a super slow evolutionary process I mean just to give you a perspective Dana we did uh, what's called a uh, on the on the news we, we do the weatherlight report where uh, Squee usually finds an obscure legend off of uh, EDH rec etc etc um, there was one that he was gone so I did it are you familiar with Garza Zol the Plague Queen. Yeah, like seven mana or something from ice, from uh, yeah from seven mana Believe really it. not yes, good. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. So so the impulse thing that he's talking about. So I did this. I I got I got really excited about it. I had the deck in my hands within two weeks. I literally built the list within like forty eight hours. Goldfish it for thirty minutes. I was like, yeah, oh, all right, like, let's go. It was like <laughs> Weatherlight Report Thursday. Theory Craft the next Friday. Purchased that Sunday. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, but it, it, it kind of is that thing to like Tuck's point. Like I've actually hit a uh, actually a thing now, Dana, and I, I'm curious if you have any people that you're friends with or in the community that you've engaged with that have kind of hit this point. But I'm kind of at the juncture that just seeing a cool legend get previewed isn't enough for me to want to build it even if it is really interesting because I have so many decks I've been playing for yeah. so long that I don't want just another, Oh, this would be a great Boros commander. I, I know we don't have a lot of those, but uh, you know, I don't want like, Oh, well it's, I already got feather and it's like, well, this seems really cool, but I need something else. So my kind of thing, it's either been like Garzazul, the way I went off of that is Ladman. But the only way I could win off of it is if I draw my deck through Garza Zol dealing combat damage and letting me draw off of her dealing damage. That's the only way I can win. Uh, but it's Ladman, so it's boring. But I have to do it through this very sweaty sure. process. Or I got a deck that'll be hopefully coming in the mail here in two weeks. I play-tested or proxied all 100 cards, and they're all old Japanese woodblock art in Japanese. 
and I just did a five-color Najila Warriors deck, slammed a bunch of Warriors in there, and it's just like, this is cool. They're all Japanese art. I don't really care if it even wins. That's just kind of where I'm at. I need something more than just a cool commander to even get me interested now. Also, yeah, behind it, the it, scenes, that Garza Zol deck is getting very close to the Reese level of Redacted deck. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that, that's for sure a thing I, I have to deal with because I have to find a way. I want to make the deck different enough from an existing deck I have to justify making it. Like, if it's going to play the same way, what's the point of doing it? And, and mm-hmm. a, a recent example, I built a um, Jury Master of the Review deck. I did never Rakdos decks. I've been looking for Rakdos Commander for years. Okay. And i like, oh, let me see what I can figure out with Jury. And we got all the treasure stuff this summer. I'm like, there's enough treasure that I could, like, do a treasure theme. But I, I have a fling deck already. And, like, the logical thing at that point with Jury, if you're going to make Jury huge and, and dome somebody with a 2020 Jury, you double the damage up and fling it. I'm like, well, then it's just half of my crash deck. So how can yeah. I figure out how to make that jury deck into something different enough from the crash deck I'm playing and in running different cards too, rather than running fling, what things can I do? And, and I figured it out. I was able to, um, I'm going to run, you know, weird cards that care about the number of artifacts I have in play or, or not even weird, just like ones I'm not running in crash. So if I'm building build a bunch mm-hmm. of treasures, I can use things or use Howl from Beyond, which is an old instant black spell oh, yeah. to, to, to sack those treasures to make jury, you know, he'll get a counter for each sacrifice creature, make him a 12, 12, 14, 14, and then use that man on that hole from beyond to make him a, you know, 24 or 28, and then sacrifice him to dome somebody and maybe copy that trigger with the resonator or something to hit somebody else. Like, but I had to find, I want to find a way to make it not look just like half of that yeah. crash deck. Yeah. Call that sweaty. You're trying to find mm-hmm. a sweaty way around it as opposed to the greasy, which would just be making Crash sure. uh, 2.0 or beta or whatever you want to call it. And every time you make a new deck, it gets harder to find that that version that, that works that isn't like a previous deck. Yeah, I totally agree. So what I think would be interesting now is, Tuck, why don't you give a minute overview of your direction like when you were picking cards for this deck like why did you pick the ones that you did so i picked with permanence um i did kind of go into a little bit more of a planeswalker style that was kind of my first thought um i think that the red planeswalkers are all pretty similar and mr combo already took a bunch of the good ones uh because he got to me before me which is all good but i really wanted to play around with the graveyard mr combo had made mention that he hadn't really looked too far into that so I think like a big strong piece of this deck is being able to sacrifice things for value, um, get your satyrs, maybe make some more value out of it, and, and kind of go that route. So I did find uh, an archetype that we'll get into at some point that I thought this would be kind of a, we talk about like different themes and, and decks of girlfriends past. This could be like a tertiary theme to the deck, uh, which Mono Red kind of has the market cornered on. Yeah, and and the way that I really kind of took it is because I, I was the first one to kind of crack the deck. And so obviously I was like, okay, I need to make sure he has some form of like low CMC stuff, some form of a little bit of ramp. Uh, so I wanted to make sure you had at least some sort of a grain base. But then I really kind of went more into Anax's second paragraph with the non-token creatures dying, making those satyr tokens. And I tried to find, like, really interesting ways, which I'm sure you guys might have seen one of the ones in the yeast package, where it's like, oh, let me sacrifice a whole lot of my board 
and then maybe I'm pinging you guys for a ton of damage. Maybe I'm stealing a bunch of your stuff. And then, oh, I sacrifice a bunch of my stuff. Now I got a bunch of tokens. Maybe I smack you with it for a bunch of damage. Maybe I'm then doing that stuff. So I try to put mechanics in the deck, Dana, that would almost fill that instant sorcery slot, but on a permanent. Mm -hmm. So that way you have a little bit of flexibility there. Because I will say in my Brutoclad All Permanents deck, I did not do that. <laughs> and there are times where it's just like, I don't think I have ways to draw cards. I think I just, I have maybe two cards and that's it. And then yeah. we're ramp. It's like, well, I think I got maybe five mana rocks. That's probably not enough. So I've used a little bit of the road bumps that I've had in mine to hopefully we don't have this in this <laughs> one. So that was a little bit of the thought from my okay. side. Now, we usually do some deck stats. Um, and I did check because Tuck put in no sets. For some reason, whenever I do tapped out, it always auto-assigns a set. Uh, but I did put it in TCG Player. The cards that we have picked out, right now you can get the deck for about 400 bucks on TCG. Um, and that is using Optimizer, Heavy Played, etc., etc. Um, lands, we got about 36, which is not too bad. Uh, Tuck, what's the average CMC? And then what are we looking at from a card rarity perspective? Sure. Um, also, I just want to say we, me and Mr. Combo really nailed the uh, mana to land symbols ratio. I mean, so. that's why I'm so tired. That's why I'm so tired. <laughs> I, I, I stayed yeah, up. Just crunching numbers. Um, so the curve is a 3-4-2, which I actually think is pretty decent for an all-permanence deck, especially in red. Um, it, we have 17 mythics, 33 normal rares, 13 uncommons, and only 7 commons rounding out the rarity side of the deck. Yeah, um, and obviously, I know Dana, you, and I, and I loved your, your comment on Twitter last night that me and the Smiths commented on. Um, you're not a spike player, but you like to play good stuff, but you're totally fine playing a six. And you didn't tell us what kind of power level or any of that that you were looking for in this deck, but I'm really glad to see that this is rounding out to be about 88% casual on the tapped out calculator, because I think that is actually probably what you're looking for. You're not looking for a pub stomp deck. You're looking for, I could just sit down and have fun. Yeah, this is a deck that I feel like I want to be able to play against somebody who maybe doesn't even, because people are bad at that conversation sometimes. Like, they don't mm -hmm. even know the language to explain what their deck is. Um, in that case, I'd prefer to default on the side of playing something that I at least won't feel bad. You know, the, the odds of this deck popping off in some sure. way to just blow out the table is just slim to none. So it, it's a deck that I would feel comfortable playing against somebody who I wasn't sure they were accurately conveying what was going on. Um, and feel okay with it. Yeah, I feel the same way about redacted deck. I just had to do it. <laughs> All right. Well, like let's it. get into the let's get into the deck. We'll start with the grains. And Dana, you being the guest, let's start with you. What's the first card you found worth talking about in the grain section? Um. So realistically, and this is a card that, that in the last I don't know six eight months has really popped up in price. I don't know why it didn't before then. If you're playing red, like you're almost always right to run Curse of Opulence. It's yeah! just such a good, efficient card. It's so and, good. I mean, on occasion, you're going to get burned, and like someone is going to be able to take advantage of it to save themselves in a way they couldn't otherwise. But for the most part, it's just going to disproportionately benefit you for one mana. And if somebody wants to remove it, if they want to waste a removal spell on Curse of Opulence, that's kind of a win, too. Like there's just mm -hmm. if you if you had draw this card, there's no point in the game where it's not like. 
it's turn 12 or something, maybe you won't gain much advantage of it. It's one mana, who cares? You can still cast it. If you gain something great, you're not down anything. It's not like Sky Shroud Claim on turn 12 where you're like, I don't want to spend four mana on this. Those who don't know, um, Curse of Opulence is one red mana for an enchantment or a curse. Enchant player, when enchanted players attacked, create a colorless artifact token named gold. It has sacrifice as artifact, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Each opponent attacking that player does the same. Uh, and it's about $13. So, uh, and, and Dana, one, I'm going to steal, this is me taking Mr. Combo's great idea that he suggested about this card, and it works. One thing that we, a lot of players forget, and Mr. Combo's smiling because I, I gave you, I gave him, I've given him full credit. I did yep. not come up with this. This is all Mr. Combo's idea. I implemented it in my mono red deck, and it worked like gangbusters. Um, you can always just enchant yourself, knowing that people are going to attack you because you're playing an aggressive red deck. And sure. then you're just gener you know that people are you're gonna have a target on your back already because you're burning everyone to death with mono red spells. So why not if you're gonna get attacked anyways, not why not just get, get paid some value out of it. Yeah. And it's Mr. Combo's idea, and let me tell you, the times that I've done it, it's worked amazingly. I don't know if I, I've ever thought of that, but yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, he literally texted me, I think it was like at eleven o'clock at night or midnight, and it was like all caps, and it was like Mr. Combo. You're a genius. He probably had a couple drinks in him. So I think if he had 100%, been... 100 that's a uh, drink. I think if he'd been 100% sober, I'd been like, Mr. Combo, you had a decent idea, but I'll, I'll take the inebriated uh, exaggeration. And he was like, I did it all myself. People kept swinging, and that mana won me the game. And it was just like, wow. 100%. Crazy. All right. Well, it sounds like you guys both shared that one. So No, 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 no. I just... Oh. Uh, I was just reading it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, Tuck, why don't you give us yours then? You were you were so excited. Uh, cause I did. It was my idea. It was one of the cards that I suggested for the deck, um, which is great. Uh, but so earlier today, Mr. Combo let me know that uh, I had done an oopsie and had included a card that he had already chosen. Uh, so in a blind panic, I chose another one. But I think this is this card is going to be a really good litmus test to see if this card can actually do the test of time. And that's the newest Planeswalker in Mono Red, Chandra Dressed to Kill. So colorless red red for legendary Planeswalker Chandra that comes in with three loyalty. It's a mythic for about 10 bucks. It has three abilities. Plus one, add red. Chandra deals one damage to up to one target player or Planeswalker. Plus one, exile the top card of your library. If it's red, you may cast it this turn. And then minus seven, exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast red spells among them this turn. You get an emblem with whenever you cast a red spell... Uh, this emblem deals X damage to any target where X is the amount of mana spent to cast the spell. So for me, in a deck like this, we're running almost, there are some artifacts, so you do have a chance to whiff, but running this either as a plus one, like running as a three drop mana rock that you can activate immediately and deals incremental damage to keep Planeswalkers off of loyalties, can impulse you draw a card, and then maybe sometimes a minus seven can win you the game. I don't really see it used for that. I think it fills in like that three spot drop pretty good as a permanent and a permanent only deck. Yeah, what's nice about the Chandra is Dress to Kill and a couple other ones, um, uh, at least one of which is in this list, um, they do functionally kind of have card draw on them, um, which is something right, you're yeah. always hurting for in red, when, particularly when you don't have access to Faithless looting like effects or anything because I'm not running instants or sorceries. Um, so yes, I, I like the idea of running a couple of those Chandras if for no other reason than just to use them as kind of like a Phyrexian Arena, just a way to get one more card into your hand every turn. See, I look at it from a different side of the coin. I'm looking at this as like, well, this is a three-drop mana rock that does way right, more. Sure. 
that yeah. does that has so, an additional thing to it. Yeah, like, like for so for me, Dana, my play style is I'm not someone that likes to rummage. I don't like to do the second plus one ability because I don't like losing cards because sure. a lot of times. The way that I build decks is I want to have as many things in there that do the thing, which usually means I'm losing out on just generic utility from time to time. So the plus one, just the fact that it has two plus ones and it's, hey, if your flavor's drawn cards, this will do it for you. Yep. If your flavor is just you need another mana rock, this flavor will do it yeah. for you. And being in mono red, you can kind of run out of mana rocks that produce red or you start getting it to where they just cost cost wise to mana. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so having this as an option is pretty good. And Tuck, good uh, good backup. Well, in, in one option, too, if you lean into the Chandra's, and there's already two in here, um, if you, you could very easily run a couple more. Um, we're looking at Torch of Defiance and Dress to Kill, but mm. Fire Artisan and Pyromancer, excuse me, Pyromaster, both have like a impulse draw stapled onto them mm. as well. And then Chandra's Regulator is a pretty decent card all on its own. Um, you can spend one to tap it and discard a mountain or basically any red card oh. to draw a card. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, like on its own in red as a way to pitch a mountain to turn it into something better, yeah. it, it kind of is giving it cycling. But it also has the ability, like, if you activate a loyalty ability of a Chandra, you can pay one and you can oh. copy that ability. Oh, so on its Quad own, tech, fourth tech down. Yeah, so, so on its own, it's fine. Like I would not be, feel bad running that in a mono red deck just as a way to draw cards. And if you're gonna run a couple Chandras, then that's a little bit of added synergy. Like it's not gonna Ooh. happen all the time, but you'll get lucky once in a while and have them both out. Or as I like, or as Mr. Combo constantly remind people, as I like to say, just a just a taste. I just want to yeah, taste. Yeah. goodness, just a taste. Yep. Oh man. Well, uh, I'm gonna shock the world with the card I want to talk about. Because I'm usually anti these kind of cards, uh, but I think with Dana the direction you're going and you're knowing your playstyle a little bit, I think this card's going to hit home. Experimental Frenzy, I think, makes a lot of sense yeah. in an yeah, all-tournament really deck. Three colorless red, enchantment rare, it's 22 cents. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may play the top card of your library. You can't play cards from your hand. And then basically for its casting cost, again, three colorless red, you could destroy this enchantment and put it to the graveyard. This seems like a great card probably for that mid to late game mm -hmm. because, I, at least with my permanence deck, it's weird. You would think not having an instance in sorceries, you would always kind of have a grip, but I always seem to run out of my hand pretty fast. And I think it's because sometimes those instant and sorceries are drawing you cards and filling up your yep. hand. So Experimental Frenzy will be great for that mid to late where maybe you've been ramping, you've been doing your stuff, and it's like, I got two cards. I got a Snow-Covered Mountain and a Chandra Dress to Kill. I kind of need to get more. I need I need to start going through that. And Experimental Frenzy is cool, guys, because it has the special text of play, not cast. Yes. So if it's a land, you can put the land onto the battlefield, and it kind of almost turns into like a Bolus of Citadel that you don't lose life on. Yep. Well, and one thing that's easy to kind of miss on the card is the fact that you are still drawing cards during your draw step. So if this sits out there for a couple of turns... And you're like, okay, I just, I, I, I've drawn, I need to get rid of it now because I've drawn three pretty decent cards since. And you can mm -hmm. do that. You're still refilling your hand. You just can't cast them. But like, oh, there's situations right, right. where with this card, I've seen it. Like, I remember when I first saw it preview, I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. It wasn't until I watched someone play it, I realized. Well, they've been casting off the top of their library for three or four turns, but they're now back up to six cards in hand too. 
So when they mm-hmm. go burn it, they're back to a you know almost a full grip. Um, if you, this comes out at the right point in time, you're still accumulating cards in your hand while you're also casting off the top. And it plays nice with Chandra's because they'll do the impulse draw. Yep, exactly. So you're not even drawing cards off it. So exactly. there you go. Slam dunk. Yep. Oh, man. All right. Well, Dana, why don't you give us your last grain card you thought interesting to talk about? Um, Runaway Steamkin is was an actual beast <laughs> when it was in Standard. But I forgot about it. And it's a cheap card. It's, it's like really a quarter-ish. Um, it's just easy to forget how good it is, particularly in mono red. You're just going to put counters on it. Accident. It's going to come down early. It's going to sit there and probably not do very much at all. And then turn six is going to roll around. And you're like, I'm, I just got three free red mana for nothing. Yeah, Runaway Steamkin, guys, if you're not familiar, and I was in Arena when uh, this was running rampant and it sucked. Uh, colorless red, creature elemental. It's a 1-1, one, one. and whenever you cast a red spell, if Runaway Steamkin has fewer than three plus one plus one counters on it, put a plus one plus one counter on Runaway Steamkin, and then you can remove three counters from Runaway Steamkin and add red, red, red. This is also my pick um, in one of my ads uh, because I've seen people play this like weird mono red storm deck, and this card just did bonkers work into it, right? Like if you look at the amount of pips and the amount of red spells, especially Mr. Combo with your pick like Experimental Frenzy, if you have Runaway Steam Kim on it with a handful oh of counters. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's gonna it's gonna help going with that. And then worst case scenario, when it dies, if it has those counters, it also triggers Anax twice. Um yep. if you don't want to burn the mana. Yeah, a lot of times I would see this and it's I don't know if this is a design flaw or if they meant to do it, but like Tuck was talking about with Storm decks, a lot of times when guys that'll say like, hey, remove these counters, add red, 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 it'll be like only use once per turn or yes, only exactly. on board, something like that. The fact that I can cast three red spells, remove three counters, get three red, cast three red spells, get three counters, remove them, get three red, and I can yep. just loop through that, that's pretty disgusting. Yeah, a card is Vega, definitely. Well, it looks like I'm the only one left, and I'm here to drop the hammer. And yes, that ah! is Koth of the hammer. <laughs> Our boy, it's so Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't do mono red without this card. I'm sorry. Uh... Two colorless, red, red, Planeswalker, Koth. It's uh, a three drop, or three loyalty. That's three abilities. Uh, plus one, untapped target mountain. It becomes a four-forward red elemental creature until end of turn. It's still a land. Still relevant, because it is non-token. So if it ends up dying, you'll actually get two, because it is power four. So it does have a little bit of synergy with Anax. Uh, minus two is actually the reason it's in here, though. Add a red to your mana pool for each mountain you control. Uh, it's like coffers on a cough. Hey, coffers cough. Uh, oh, and then it coffers. does have a minus five for an emblem. Mountains you control have tapped. This land deals a damage to target creature or player. I would guess, Dana, you would, you could have this thing at 100, and you probably still wouldn't <laughs> minus five. I yeah, just, yeah, probably. Minus two. <laughs> yeah, unless yeah, you're down yeah. to that point in the game where, like, someone's at three life, and you're like, oh, yeah. I'll just kill yeah. you with it. Yeah. Well, that, that's just where you pull out the well-timed lightning bolt. We are in red. Right, right. There you go. Uh, yeah, and I think to Mr. Combo's point, I agree this is a mono red slam dunk. Uh, and also, I think a lot of people are going to be incentivized to do minus two as soon as it comes down. In my experience, it's always good to do the plus one just so that you know yep. you can at least get two back to back and kind of build up. As soon as we talked about mono red, all permanents, I was like, got it. And Mr. Combo beat me to the <laughs> And it's well, still it, a relatively inexpensive card, too. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to say, Dana. At like 560. I mean, this seems like a pretty powerful Planeswalker for Mono Red. Now, I, when you get into the other colors, I don't think it really has a home there that much. But, I mean, 
five bucks doubling your mana maybe every other turn or every three turns that's not that's not bad like from a yeah. financial investment it's just such a funny i mean this card has has been five dollars since short after it came <laughs> out i think how many magic cards have sat around at five dollars for a decade and this this one has somehow done that. yeah well especially in the pandemic and all the prices skyrocketed last year yeah. i'm surprised yeah. this isn't 50 dollars. I, I kind of am too yeah well guys that's gonna wrap up the grain section now we're gonna head over to the hot profile and Tuck, I'll have you start off this section. What is the first hop card you want to talk about? We only got 12. Well, we're going to get right into this, folks. Uh, as soon as I figured we're doing all permanents, and Mr. Combo gave it to me to do some graveyard recursion rigmaroles, there's only one thing that came to mind, baby. Santa Claus? Uh, yes, and Monarch, but we'll get to that shortly. Uh, no, Phoenix Tribal. Uh, this is the <laughs> Phoenix Tribal deck. Uh, it turns out there's not a whole lot of good good ones out there, um, but there are a few. And one that I really liked was Flame Wake Phoenix. So uh, colorless double red for 2-2 two, two Flyer Haste, which is fine. Each uh, Phoenix, uh, bluck, Flame Wake, bluck. Flame Wake <laughs> Phoenix attacks each turn of April. We're attacking with our Seder tokens anyway, so that doesn't matter. And then it has Ferocious. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control a creature with power four or greater, you may pay red. If you do, return it from your graveyard to the battlefield. So the reason why I kind of put this into hops is because I feel like this is really going to fuel A, generating our tokens so that we're going to start punching through defenses and making people have to sacrifice their creatures, which I think is going to be a lot of things that we're going to see in this, right? A lot of these Seder tokens going in, making them choose to do like goofy blocks and that sort of thing. But moreover, is that this is going to be fuel that we can sacrifice to our different ping people for one, destroy this thing, this or that, or the other thing happens, and be able to pretty much consistently do it every turn because we want that four power or greater on the board at all time. Yeah, this is just never going to stay dead unless, I mean, people will right. have to burn a Bajuka Bog or Scavenger Ground or something to get rid of it because it's going to be so easy to recur. And if they have to do that to burn a Phoenix, I think that's, that's fine a win in and of itself. Yeah. Exactly, yep. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, that's like when someone has to use a swords to plowshares on something. It's just like, okay, yeah. I'd rather you do it on that than my commander or my Kozilek right. or something. Like your, uh, like one of your advisors in your... In that oh, yeah, my, like, per, yeah, my persistent petitioners. Yeah, I can't like, be milled for 13! <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my first one, I alluded to it, Santa Claus. Uh oh. The graveyard, Tuck, you hit it on point, putting Felden of the Third Path in here. Uh, great card, especially because the the thing that I kind of look at, Dana, when I look at a deck that is aristocraty, um, basically just meaning I'm trying to sacrifice my own stuff, get extra value, and I'm using that to then hurt my opponents. And my issue with that is, well, that's not a good game plan if you don't have ways to get some of that stuff that you killed back to the battlefield so you can do it again. Mono Red obviously doesn't have a plethora of graveyard recursion, so Felden of the Third Path fits this mold perfect. So colorless red red, legendary creature, human artificer, mythic, it's a 2-3, it's 50 cents, very cheap. Two colorless red, tap, create a token that's a copy of target creature card in your graveyard, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. It gains haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So I'll get it out there on Jones Street. Yes, you're not going to get Anex triggers off of the stuff you're bringing back with Felden. But that's fine. That's that's not why he's here. Felden is purely here because once that non-token creature died and we got our satyrs, now we have ways to reuse it. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about Felden that a lot of people forget is that when you create the token of that creature in your graveyard, you don't exile it. 
A lot of times when you make a token copy of something, you have to mm -hmm. exile it from your graveyard. This, it stays there. So if there, if you figure out other graveyard recursion, you don't have to worry that Felden is going to get rid of your XYZ great card uh, because you can always go back to it. You know, if, if Neheb, for example, was in there and you made multiple copies of Neheb, it's, if you get a way to get the non-token back onto the battlefield, you can still do it. So I think Felden is a very smart play, and I like it in hops because you could be very reactionary depending on how people are smacking you. Yeah, I, I like that too. I completely agree. And Mr. Combo, to your point, I think a big key part too is the, it's the beginning of the next end step. It's not at the end of combat. It's not at your second main phase. You still have that whole second phase to play around with the token, which again, I think a lot of people kind of forget and they think it's like, this is just for combat. You can use yep. it for so much more than just bashing someone for four or whatever the case may be. Fully agree. I like it. And, and you know what? It's not irrelevant that it's double red to cast too. That's not going to hurt oh, you, but yep. like the more things you have out with multiple red pips in it, the stronger the commander gets. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's you kind of forget <laughs> about it. I mean, we were sitting here talking about like the token thing the whole time and it's like, oh yeah, he does get like a big yeah. chest with yeah. four pips. He, he can punch people in and around mm -hmm. the face. <laughs> well, Dana, what was your first hops card that you thought was interesting? Uh, uh, Burning Earth. So, you know, <laughs> there is a Blood Moon in here, and, and Blood Moon would be one I'd, I'd be hesitant, I think, to run. Because I feel like there's there's just accidentally occasions you're just going to shut someone off and they can't play. And, yeah, you should run more basics, but I, I still would feel kind of bad about, like, someone just being unable to do anything at, at, at that rare moment when it comes out at the wrong time. Burning Earth, on the other hand, you can still play. You're just taking damage for it. So, like, I feel like... Yeah, just take yeah, 10 to cast your Right, spell. but, like, it's <laughs> your... If you're taking 10, though, if you've got 10 non-basics in play, that's on you. Like, I don't feel bad about that at that point. <laughs> I, I'm, I am okay with you taking 10 damage. You're still able to do your thing, and you're getting domed, and that's entirely your fault. But if you don't feel bad for them in that standpoint, shouldn't you not feel bad for them with Blood Moon? It's like, well, you just got 10 red mana. The, the difference, I think, is I, I, Blood Moon, you can keep you from doing your thing, I think. Burning Earth, you can do it. It's just going to kill you. And yeah. maybe that's and burning, maybe I'm splitting hairs there, but I, I feel much more comfortable with the Burning Earth one that lets you at least have an attempt to get out from underneath it versus Blood Moon where sometimes you can just be locked out. And Burning Earth, for those playing the home game, is three colors and a red for an enchantment. It's 62 cents. Whenever a player taps a non-basic land for mana, it deals one damage to that player. Um, so this is the this is like the one of the premier cards in my Yearlock build that we did a Theorycraft on, I believe, was it Theorycraft or Say Yes to Deck? It was one of those new ones. I don't remember. Yeah, I can't um, But anyway, it's like, it's, I, I kind of agree with Dana on this, where, especially in that deck, it's like, look, you can do whatever you want. I'm not stopping you from doing anything. I'm going to give you ways to make it easier for you. You're just going to have to pay the iron price for doing it, right? <laughs> right. Um, which is, I think, I, I kind of side with Mr. Combo on the Blood Moon in this deck, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think this one, I think they both have a home and have different purposes in this build. Perfect. Well, Tuck, why don't you give us your last hop card? We had to do it, folks. The best mechanic that's ever been printed in Magic the Gathering. Oh my, oh, you did it's put the it best. in here. Mr. Combo called me on this last week when we had a guest and I didn't put it in here because I'm a moron. So I'm not it, making it, that same mistake again. This actually makes sense though a little bit. So it's fine. Court of Ire. So three colorless double red for an enchantment. <laughs> when it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, Court of Ire deals two damage to any target. If you're the monarch, it deals seven damage to that player or permanent instead. 
Um, it's 70, 55 cents. So it's to no surprise to any of our listeners that Monarch is my favorite mechanic ever printed. Uh, I try to run a Monarch card in every deck that I'm in. I do think that, and again, I just like this card in this deck a lot. I think that we will we are going to be attacking a lot, so I think that we will be able to get that incidental draw trigger off of the Monarch. I'm guessing we're not going to be dealing a whole lot of seven damage to someone, but if you look at our yeast, we do have a lot of things that deal double amount of damage um, from red sources or more or more damage from red sources. So I think even though it's two damage, that will start stacking up over time, pinging off commanders, pinging off planeswalkers, picking off other troublesome creatures, or perhaps a player entirely. Two to a Planeswalker is a, is a pretty big deal. It's just incidental damage that is going to happen every turn. That's the kind of thing that will keep people from actually casting their Planeswalker until they can deal with it. Uh, yep. um, that's that's absolutely impact. Yeah, and I... So, look, I, I know you love the Monarch mechanic. I get it. I hear you. And it is only one card, and the card I'm going to mention is also only one card in the deck. But I will say this. We, we just... We sold Dana on this interesting Curse of Opulence idea where you curse yourself... Curse of Opulence oh. and Court of Ire on the battlefield, actually, they're disadvantageous to you. Right. So, now, when Court of Ire first resolves, it's great, because you're the monarch. Everyone has to swing at you. You're going to get those gold, and then you're probably also going to kill off their stuff, which is, which is great. But once someone else gets the monarch, that's actually where Curse of Opulence becomes oh. terrible, because no one ever wants to swing at you. It's like, well, I swing yeah. at Dana, and I give him gold, and yes, I get gold. Or I could just hit Mr. Combo and I get the Monarch back and I get to draw a card. Well, I'll just do that. I don't, I don't give him right, anything. Right, right. So that, that's the only thing. It's like when you first play it, it's insanely powerful if you have Curse out there. Because now you're getting like, you're almost forcing everyone to come at you. And you just, hopefully, with all the creatures you have and all the tokens, you can just you have blockers for yep. days. Uh, but once you lose the Monarch, that's where it kind of becomes it's a little It's going to be tougher to get back. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I think, it's, I think it's a fair assessment. Well, my last one is a card that I thought was very cool, but I, I wanted to have more of these sacrifice effects in here. So Fiery Bombardment, mm -hmm. I think, is a very cool card. So a colorless and a red, it's an enchantment. It's 18 cents, and it has Chroma. For two colorless, you sacrifice a creature, and then you have a whole slew of options. Uh, it can either deal damage to target creature or player equal to the number of red mana symbols and the sacrifice creature's mana cost. And that's it. Uh, so <laughs> the, the coolest thing about it that I like is Dana talked about pips. Pips kind of matter. Yep. Like, you know, hey, having that two pips, that's not something or not nothing. And it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Fiery Bombardment, two colorless. I'm flinging two damage. And if it's a power four, now I got two satyrs out here. Um so this won't do anything for your tokens. It's definitely not going to be like another bombardment that's in the hop section uh, where you could just willy-nilly do uh, sacrifice tokens and deal damage to people. But this seemed like a very creative way, especially when you have your two, three, and four pip creatures. Hey, let me get some extra damage out there. It's a cheap enchantment. They're hard to get rid of. It's a little bit of a mana sink. You could do it at any time. It just, it, it's just, it's more fun than a Nashon's altar. Well, it's also the kind of thing that you will draw this on turn 11 when it's like down to you and one player, and you'll do some quick math, and you're like, I'm going to swing at you f with my creatures, and they'll be like, okay, I'm going to block this, and I'm going to take four or five, and then you're like, all right, uh, second main, fiery bombardment, and sacrifice my entire board. Um, and like yep. they thought they were safe, and you're like, you, you, you know, between the creature damage and just going all in, you, you can just end somebody sometimes. That's a good point. It plays perfectly with Felden because the token that you create is still going to have that those pips in its cost. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Right? 
So for four, for five mana, you can get a loop of your biggest creature blasting people in the face after attacking. That's actually pretty cool, Tuck. It's the wine talking. Where's the claw? <laughs> uh, well, Data, why don't you round out the hop section? What's the last hop card you find interesting? Um, the last one I find interesting here is... Yeah, we talked about Chandra's um, Chandra Awakened Inferno. The the passive text on here, this spell can't be countered, um, is almost always pretty useful, but it's not necessarily yep. adding anything offensive here. Um, the plus two, though, each opponent gets an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep, this emblem deals one damage to you. Why is it, that it, plus two? <laughs> right, right. And then she's an eight. Yes. It, it, and it turns into, like, whenever I've seen this played, it turns into a thing where you drop Chandra, and if you have any kind of defense up, you plus two, it almost always takes multiple people going hard at you to kill her, <laughs> and they can't always do it. And then it comes around again, and you're like, I'm throwing two more loyalty on her, and I'm playing a couple more bodies that can block, and I'm putting another emblem out there. And now everyone's like, we, again, they all have to focus on you. And if you make it one more wheel around, then they're getting that third. Like, it just becomes the entire game eliminating Chandra, or or everyone's just screwed. Like, they're... they're they have to remove it before you get up to multiple emblems or the, 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 nothing else matters. So, and then also it's four colorless, double red for, and it comes in with six. It also has two other abilities, which I think are relevant as well. Mm -hmm. The minus three is that it deals three damage to each non-elemental creature. So uh. I think you can use it, but I think you can use that to your advantage in this deck of like chump blocking the biggest, the bigger creatures or double blocking and killing them. And then if there's just a bunch of tokens left over, you can wipe them if you don't have your board. Granted, we it kind of kills us. Uh, and then minus yeah, I was, eight, about, I was about to say, it wipes all your tokens and kills Anex. Oh, that's very true. And then minus eight, uh, it deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, and if permanent dealt damage this way, uh, exile instead, and that's minus X, not minus eight. Apologies there. Uh, I'm a moron, because when this got spoiled, I thought it was target opponent, not each. Uh, and that's all I'll have to say about this. I actually think Chandra's Awakened Inferno fills a very interesting gap that an all-permanence deck has, Dana, and that you don't have Chaos Warps, you don't have removal. So that right. minus X to be able to exile creatures and planeswalkers, potentially, that's huge. That is yeah. massive. Yeah. It, and it's one more thing. If you happen to be running Chandra's Regulator, you're going to maybe once I get that combo out, and you're like, okay, you're getting two emblems this turn, and then it just doubles, like... If, if people don't deal with it, that turn it's over. Like they're going to be taking four. That like it's just <laughs> that may, that's just that much crazier. At least the emblems aren't red. You know, emblems are just oh. colorless. Because could you imagine if it started stacking damage with all the red doublers? Oh my, that'd yeah. be disgusting. Yeah, oh yeah, you sick. only have two. You only have two emblems on you for two damage. But how about that two damage turns into seventeen? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dana's cuts are just two sh two other Chandras and Shano's regulator. Right. Exactly. Yep. So I. I, I this is basically turning into a Chandra deck, and she has pet phoenixes, apparently. Right, and Anax yes. is just yeah. like her bitch, apparently. You know, <laughs> yeah. He just does whatever she needs. She just likes his helmet. That's why she, that's why she keeps him around. He's like, cool helmet, that's it. Well, guys, that's going to wrap up the hot profile. Now we're going to head over to how this game wins. And I'm going to kick this off with the card I talked about in the beginning. Sometimes, you know, Dana and Tuck, when creatures come into play, they, they don't know what side of the board they're supposed to be. They get confused. It's just a lot of confusion in the ranks. It's so good. And it's so good in this deck. So we're talking about confusion in the ranks, guys. Three colorless red red. It's four bucks. It's a rare from, don't tell me, Mirrodin? Is that the sword? I think that's that block Scars? at least, yeah. 
Mirrors? The, the first Mirrodin block, right? No, Scars, I think, is the kind of weird circle-y one. Yeah. I think that's Scars. Is this a straight Mirrodin? It is. Oh, Mr. Yeah. Cobble nailed it. Just Look at straight that. out. Booyah. Hashtag, apparently, set nerd. Uh, and it has a block <laughs> of text, guys, as an enchantment. And I think it's important that's an enchantment. Because, Dana, we talk about it all the time on this channel. Enchantments are probably one of the hardest permanents to mm -hmm. remove Absolutely. in Magic. Next to maybe lands. Um, lands, I, I would, I guess, put number one. But, yeah, enchantments are very hard. So, <laughs> here's some chaos. Whenever an artifact, creature, or enchantment comes into play, its controller chooses target permanent another player controls that shares a type with it, exchange control of those permanents. So here's my thought on this, guys, is Dana has Anex out there. He smacks people for a bunch. Yeah, people probably block. Stuff dies. Oh, tokens come in. I think I'm going to swap. I'm going to swap. I'm going to swap. Uh, and the other cool part is that you could do it in this way because we have sacrifice outlets because it's universal. It's for everyone. Oh, you're going to try to take my commander? Well, I think actually I'll just sat with that trigger on the stack. I'm going to sacrifice it. I'm going to get my tokens. And I'm actually going to take the thing that you you were trying to take. Uh, and, and you could kind of do this, like, cool, reactionary, almost blue-like game in mono-red permanence. I think it's very fascinating. And you could, you could go to a next big brain level if you wanted. Like, uh, just in general, not for this deck, but like Michael sent Lattice in this card. Anything oh. that comes down, you're just swapping. It's just absolute <laughs> madness. Um, I just, like it. The game, just, the game just ends. So I I understand, Dana, how you like to play games. And we kind of talked about it. This is where we're trying to push people a little out of their comfort zone. Confusion in the ranks. Is this a card that you're like, yes, open arms, I want to do it? Or is this a little against the grain of your play style? And it would take a little tinkering to maybe... Uh, justify in the deck for one I, I had never registered before that it that it didn't say non-token yeah um, that significantly oh, changes yeah. things um i would be okay with running this i think the one thing i would have to do is have a backup plan for webcam <laughs> i wouldn't oh, want to yeah. inflict that misery on <laughs> <at> anybody <laughs> yeah. so i'd have to have something like okay i'm whenever i play a webcam game i'm yanking out confusion for you know whatever else i would put in that slot sure. <laughs> another another chandra obviously right right yeah Phoenix. whatever yeah but yeah, no, it, it, playing in person for sure, I would I would give this a go. And Mr. Combo, I think like something that's really interesting too is that the Seder creature tokens, we haven't really talked about this much because it hasn't come up, can't block, yeah. right? So you're going to, I'm going to swap out your Oh my gosh, I didn't whatever. even think about that. Yeah, so you're, like, you're just swapping blockers for blockers and you're going to be able to probably churn out more tokens than they're going to be able to cast creatures. Yeah. So like, okay, great, take your Blightseal Colossus back or whatever. You can't attack with this turn. I'm just going to take it back next turn, and eventually you're not going to run out. You're going to have no creatures to be able to to swap it back out with. Yeah, it winds up being like a weird, almost propaganda-ish effect where, like, no one wants to swing at you because it's going to generate an ETB trigger, and you'll take their stuff. Right, right. Well, and then I was even thinking of it from this perspective because, obviously, the number one way that you would get screwed with Confusion in the Rinks is a token deck, you know, like Redacted mm, Squeeze right. deck, uh, Arise the Redeemed. Sure. Making 50 elves, you're just screwed. Um, but I think that's where Confusion in the Ranks, this is a card that you have to play the right way. Um, we've been mm -hmm. having a lot of battles, Dana, in our Discord, because we did a Council of the Unbanned last week, and, uh, I argued for Upheaval to be unbanned. Um, and 
you know, it was all like, oh, the car's just inherently broken. And I was like, well, it's only broken in the hands of the person using it type thing. Same thing with, like, Grizzle Brand. Honestly, any band card, in my opinion. It's the hands of the user. It's not the card itself for the most part. And Confusion in the Rinks, guys, if you want to run this, you need to really look at the table. Don't just, oh, I can play it on turn four. Play it. You need to hold yep. on to this. Yep to that mid to late game where it's like, okay, I've felt out the table. I know what people are kind of doing. Yes, people are naturally just going to be able to maybe take an artifact or take an enchantment. Um, people play those and that happens. It's the creature token thing that you have to be real careful about because you do yeah. not want to play this and someone's like, oh, thank you, uh, Avenger of Zendikar, Landfall deck. Yeah, I'll just take everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I think this was this was a great pick, Mr. Combo. I'm so glad that you brought it up. Uh, and it's a card... You do have to do that. You do have to do that kind of like thought process with, but I think this deck you're gonna be able to outvalue anyone besides like these other token generators. Yep. The the thing talking about like knowing when to use it too. I was actually having a conversation with a friend recently, um, and I can't remember what deck it was. He had a token deck, and I was suggesting um, coat of arms for it. Uh, mm -hmm. art, an yeah, artifact. Yeah. Each creature gets plus one plus one for each other creature on the battlefield that shares a type with it. Um, he's like, oh, I've gotten burned by that card so many times when yep. I play it, and then like three turns yep. later, someone plays whatever, and I'm like, well, but don't play it that way. It, it, treat it like an <laughs> treat it like an overrun. Like you only put it on the field when you've got yep. seven things in play, yep. and you're just going to kill two people. Like you don't want to play it on turn five and be like, well, let's see what happens. Like you're going to get burned yep. when you do that. You want to hold on to it until you're at that point in the game when you can drop it and just kill somebody. Or bare minimum. You drop it when you know you can control and react to what other people right, do. So yeah. like, I, I, like I mentioned yeah. with Confusion in the Ranks, if someone did it, you have a sacrifice outlet out there. Like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice my thing so yeah. I don't lose it. Or like the right. Coat of Arms example, because I run that in a few decks, and Tuck always cuts it when we do those decks on Bruise and Builds. <laughs> but like, I, I'll, I'll run it, and I'll be comfortable with it, even if I can't win the game on the spot, if I have like 10 things that share a type. Because it's like, oh. Well, these are all like, you know, 15, 15, 16, 16. I'm cool if you play four dragons and you get plus four on each of them or plus three on each of them. That's all right. Um, right, so yeah. There, it, it's, you know, played as the game winner or if you could control the board a right. little bit to where you just don't get blown out like your friend talked about three turns later, that's really where these yeah. cards. But th that's, that's what makes magic fun and that's what makes yeah. EDH fun because it's singleton. So, right. you know, if someone blew up your Confusion of the Ranks, you don't have another one. That's um, it, right. And, but yeah. but yeah, when right. you plant it, it's very exciting. So, Dana, we had a lot of game winners in here, in my opinion. You know, 17 is a lot. But when you're talking living in the red zone, you could do a lot with that. What did you think was an interesting yeast card for this Anex deck? It's an easy thing to overlook how good Ogre Battle Driver is. I think mm, it was a card. Yeah. I remember when it first, the first time, couple times I saw it, I was like, oh, that's just one of those draft cards or, or yep. limited cards that's probably good in that environment. Until someone dropped Incorrect. it against me in the right deck, the plus two plus two is a big deal in a lot of situations. The haste is a big deal. Like it's a really good card and is yep. way better than just a fervor effect usually or, or hammer of perfor. Like just a generic give your stuff haste yep. is useful. That plus two plus oh. And again, this is a deck where you're making tokens and you have the option to perhaps crank out multiple tokens per turn that are going to come mm -hmm. into play with that extra plus two plus oh and can swing out immediately um it, it's a really good card and it's a card that lets you show off a little bit it lets you make plays there's some cards that come down flex, yeah like crater hoof comes down and wins games but like very rarely are you doing anything with cool with crater hoof 
Ogre Battle Driver lets you come up with creative things to do to take advantage of it then. It lets you kind of show off a little bit. And that's always fun when a card gets better, the better you are at playing your deck. And Absolutely. the one thing I would add to that, I Battle Driver is a good card, but I'm normally anti these types of cards, Dana, because creatures are the easiest thing to yes, remove in very all of magic. Yep. So, right. so that's where the Hammer of Perforos would normally be a naturally better fit. Sure. But you yep. don't care. You want creatures, right. and you want them to have the opportunity to die. You don't necessarily want Battle Driver to die. You want it on the field. But if it dies, you don't care. You're getting something still in return. So that's where I think this deck, it makes perfect sense. I agree. Uh, and just for the home game, it's uh, two colors, double red for a 3-3 Ogre Warrior that has the ability, whenever another, or triggered ability, whenever another creature enters battlefield under control, that creature gets plus two, plus zero, and gains haste until end of turn. Uh, and what I, the big thing that draws me this is that normally a lot of people want to play this early game so that their tokens, like in my Prosh deck, I want this down turn four, Prosh turn five, and then you're off to the races. One thing I really like, there's two things I really like about this. Number one, in this in this deck, you can build it such that this turns into your coat of arms or crater hoof later in the game when you're flooded with mana and sacrifices effects. And I think this also allows you to, a lot of the things we've talked about with the sacrifice effects and token generations have been more like reactive in some sense, where it's like, I'm doing this because a board wipe's happening, or I'm doing this because someone steal, uh, confusion in the ranks me. This way you can play this like, okay, I'm going to do this and now I'm going to go on the offensive. I'm going to do all the sacrifice stuff, clear out a bunch, and these tokens are going to come down and start bashing face immediately. And I don't know if you guys mentioned it, but you can't gloss over the plus two because that gets them closer to the four power and makes you two tokens. Right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Well, Tuck, what is your first game winner? So we've talked a lot about how we're going to be attacking with tokens, with buff, with buffs, all this different stuff. Um, and I think one thing that the Seder tokens kind of lack is some semblance of an, of evasion, right? Oh. They're just kind of one, one people that can't block. Okay. So for me, archetype of aggression does a mm. ton of work here. So colorless double red for a three, two enchantment creature, human warrior creatures you control have trampled creatures, your opponents control lose trample and can't have or gain trample. So the latter half isn't as exciting because the Seder tokens can't block. But the fact that for a card that's going to make Anax go up by two, right? So he, this and Anax immediately puts him up to four, which is where we're trying to get. And is going to turn all these different effects of plus two here, plus one there, into these tokens, these, these creatures we're reanimating. I think this is really going to let them punch through in ways that normal token decks and normal mono red decks kind of struggle with. And, and it just seems like a pretty solid um, body. Granted, it's a creature and it's pretty either removed. Dies to shock, dies to lightning bolt. But I think for the price and and for the mana, you're getting a lot of value out of this. Yeah, completely agree. Um, it's just a good piece of value in this deck. <laughs> not, yeah. not much to say. I yeah. get it. So, so the funny thing is I've, <laughs> I've actually never seen this archetype, but um, now I just generic question. Can we agree that I think the blue archetype is probably the best one? You, you get flying? Yeah, you gain the flying, flying one, and they yeah. can't half flying. That has to be the best one, right? That yeah. one and the green one with hexproof is pretty solid, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. That one's pretty good. I think that one's a little expensive. I think it's um, nine mana, eight mana. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's some yeah. crazy amount to cast, but yeah. Oh, and then also, of course, white gets the shaft on this one because your creature's gained first, first strike. strike. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> we did it again, white. Oh, man. All right. Well, my last one... And I feel like this might be on Dana's cutting block, potentially, because we're red. We're not a landfall deck. Oh. But I think in an all-permanence, we have stuff. 
in here, like your expedition maps of the world. And yes, if you got it late in the game, that would suck. But Morag Fury of Akum, I, you're going to play a land every turn. So you're going to get at least one extra combat. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm good for that. Your creatures get plus one, plus oh for each time it has attacked this turn. So now things are getting bigger. They're going to attack twice. Uh, so it'll get one plus one. Well, I'm trying to think of how that works. So would they get the initial plus one on the first attack, or is it looking at pass attacks? Each creature, each time it has attacked. So yeah, once the attack has so started, it goes, I would assume that would, because this isn't applying when it attacks, it just gets it if it has attacked. So I would assume once the attack process has begun. You get it. It's it's would, now attacked. I would think that too. The, the has being past tense is weird. Yeah. But, okay, so you get plus one. We'll just say it's a plus two plus oh, though. That gets us closer to four, which is great. Uh, it is six mana, four colorless, red, red. That's a six, six. But the landfall is the really cool thing here, guys. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if it's your main phase, there's an additional combat phase after this phase. At the beginning of that combat, untap all creatures you control. Now, it doesn't give them haste. It's, um... You don't get an additional main phase after this, so the one thing you got to be careful, don't think like, oh, I can attack, and I can draw, and then I can play a land, and then I get another attack, and I can do it again. Nope. It's once you get into that next block of attacks, you're stuck. But I think with the expedition maps, you playing a land per turn, having double attacks is going to be very powerful, and I think Morog's one of those cards that you can plop and probably kill someone on the spot, I would venture. But worst case scenario, someone wastes removal on it, which I would be okay with, because you're going to get two satyrs out of it. Yep. Uh, and confirmed, Morag's first ability counts how many times a creature has attacked. The first time a creature attacks in turn, the plus one, plus zero bonus will apply. There we go. And I think that a lot of people see this card um, and get immediately scared of it, because you can do broken stuff in it mm -hmm. in your landfall decks. But I think here people will, it's probably not going to be as, people won't register it yeah. as big a threat as it probably should be, considering how quick you can start pumping out creatures. And with these other haste enablers that we've discussed, um, I think this card definitely is going to knock people out of the game pretty quick. Yeah, you only need the one extra attack step. Like that's, I mean, is it nice if you can chain a couple with multiple landfall triggers? Sure, that's amazing. You don't need to do that here though. Like it's just, just getting one is going to be plenty often mm -hmm. enough. And the nice thing is that usually in red to get an extra combat every turn, it's aggravated assault and it's costing right. you five every single turn. Right. I would rather do a one mana investment more at six Yes, it's a little bit more susceptible to removal, but we've already talked about that. We're cool if mm -hmm. stuff dies because yep. we get value out of it. Um, and then after that first turn, your extra turn cost is play a land. That right. is such right. a low barrier yeah, of entry. It's so, yeah. it's so low. <laughs> All right. Well, Dana, why don't you give us your last yeast card? Um, my last yeast card here, um, Fanatic of Mogus. I'm um, three in a red. Uh, it's a 4-2 Minotaur you. Shaman. So by default, when it dies, it's going to make you two Seder tokens. Um, it's a worse version of Grey Merchant, but like yep. a worse version of Grey Merchant still really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> when Fanatic Amogus enters battlefield, it deals damage to each opponent equal to your devotion to red. Um, so, you know, many times in this deck, you're just accidentally going to be at 6, 8, 10, but maybe more than yep. that in terms of devotion, depending on, like, what point of the game it is. There's just going to be those times when you're like, I don't know how I'm going to win this right now. I can't punch through damage. Um, you know, maybe I'll talk up and top deck an answer. You'll top deck this and go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you know, start counting your pips. Like, um, Fanatic of Mogus, 16 to everyone. Like, oh like that's God. just going to happen yeah. sometimes. <laughs> um, but, like, if it does 5 to everybody, that's still pretty good. 
pretty great for a creature that's yeah. a, 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 a big front end on an attacker or on a blocker, and that's going to make you two tokens when it dies as well. And here's the great part, because Tuck put the tech in there, and we've already talked about Santa Claus. Fanatic yeah. Amogus is yeah. amazing. Yes. Play it, sacrifice it, activate Felden, get it again. Oh my gosh, filthy. Uh, Flame Shadow Conjuring as well here, when when it ETBs, you can copy sure. with that. That is also a yeast card we haven't discussed, but that's in here as a way to double that trigger up as well. And on top of that, we are looking at a build, oddly, that has 17 enchantments, all red pips, and five Planeswalkers, all yeah. red pips. So to your point, Dana, I think this is a weird kind of... Because of the constraint that we're going through of all permanents, yep. we're going to have like the the lion's share of red pips that we could have out at a time. 76 red pips in the deck. No, really? Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> so yeah, Dana, apparently if you play your whole deck, you'll just ding yeah. every dong. <laughs> right, yeah. I was going to say, now the goal is to deal 76 damage right, with one yeah. cast among <laughs> And again, this is a super cheap card. It's like, you know, it's less than a pack of gum. Yeah. Yep. You know what's going to be sad, Dana? In like 20 years, we're going to be like, yeah, you know, that costs less than a pack of gum. And it's like $30 because a pack of right, gum costs right, $35. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, I haven't chewed gum in six months. <laughs> I, but thank God I have six Fanatic Amoguses lying around to trade for it. Good thing I quit chewing gum. I can't afford to have it anymore. <laughs> Well, Tuck, why don't you round out the yeast and give us your last one? This is pretty meat and potatoes. Um, I was going to do another Phoenix, but I didn't want to have to explain myself. So, Sulfuric Vortex, uh, colorless double red enchantment. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, it deals two damage to that player. If a player would gain life, that player gains no life instead. We are a combat deck. We are in mono red. We, we live and die through combat. We're going to be taking life. The two damage done is incidental with the additional uh, things of like we didn't talk about like Tobran and, and Jaya, that sort of stuff. It's going to cost our opponents a lot more than it's going to cost us. Um, and we just can't beat lifelink decks. We can't beat Orzov, gain a gazillion life. And I think Sulfuric Vortex, like we just discussed, hard to remove, got the pips. Very, very straightforward. Uh, got to be in these red decks that are just burning people out. It's it's gonna constantly burn people down. I guess you know we were we were really hyped about the Chandra emblem doing the same thing. Um, this does hit you. Um, the, the eliminating life gain I think is kind of a big deal as well though. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've never really wanted to put this in a deck before. I think it's maybe one of those cards that has never felt impactful enough necessarily. But it's also one of those ones, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody else play it either, and maybe you just have to experience it to see how effective it is. Like That's that's a thing sometimes where like a card, until you actually play with it, you don't know how well it works. Your, your mental conception of what it's going to do isn't necessarily the reality. So um, this isn't one I would have thought to put in the deck, but I am on board trying it out because I've never actually seen it in a game do anything. I'm curious to see how it actually plays out when it's in play. So the reason I'm not a fan of the card uh, in the yeast section, I mean, if you wanted to put it in spice, that's fine. Um, or if you said, hey, it's only in the deck really because of the gain life piece and the damage is incidental, then I can get on board with that. But it's each player's upkeep. It deals damage to that player. So it's not a Neheb because it doesn't do it on my upkeep to everyone. I don't get any mana out of it. Mm. Um, so it doesn't offer me any value there. And then when I look at this deck, I look at this as Dana's winning on his turn, not other people's turns. So 
as much stuff as we can do that it's at the beginning of his upkeep, the things are dealing damage to the table, that's going to be more impactful than him potentially being like, okay, I play Sulfuric Vortex, I need to wait for a rotation, and hopefully nothing happens to my board, everyone takes the two damage, and maybe that two damage is what it needed to go home. I For me, it's a little fringe, but it is only a buck. I think Torbrand decks love this, but it, sure, I yeah. think I think this might be one of those niche cards, kind of like cards I put on my Shirai uh, Power One or Less deck. Just some things, very few legends probably want. That's all fair. Um, I just yeah, this has done work for me in my mono red Perforos deck every time I played it, which is granted a very different deck than this one. Uh, but for, again, the enchantment thing, yep. I thought it was at least worth, I thought it was at least bringing up. Well, that's going to wrap up the yeast package. And now we're going to head over to the spicy section. And Dana, I want to know what spicy card you wanted to talk about. Cause we, we put some spice in here. We got eight, almost, almost one tenth of the deck is spice. So the one that, that first jumped out at me is mirror March. Yeah. Um, a, and this is a card that I remember when it was spoiled being like, Oh, this yep. is going to see a ton of play. And I've, it, I know. It's, I've never seen it get played. I don't think. Um, and for those that don't remember, it's an enchantment for five and a red. Whenever a non-token creature enters a battlefield under your control, flip a coin until you lose a flip. And for each flip you won, create a token that's a copy of that creature. Those tokens gain haste and exile them at the beginning of the next end step. Um, I think the risk here is you can get burned. And I, I would I would bet there's a lot of people that like put this in their deck and the first two times they added up, they lost that first flip. And they're like, screw this card. I can't believe I spent six <laughs> mana on that and it did nothing I for me. an entire turn to do nothing. Right. Um, and, you know, the reality is that's going to happen once in a while, but there's going to be those situations where you, you know, win three flips and it goes crazy too. This card, like, object if you were to objectively weigh it based on is it worth the six mana, eh, probably not. I, I Like, there's definitely things that you're going to be able to run in this deck that are going to be more effective for that cost you're paying. But the time it works... <laughs> It's gonna it's make so for a, it's it, it's gonna make a story. It is a story you will talk about that time you made six copies of Fanatic of Mogus because you just couldn't lose, lose yes. that flip. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you go and you're like, I'm white hot right now. Right, like, yeah. You go to the boat. I'm heading to the and casino. Then you lose five thousand right, dollars. Yeah. You're like, I got. I'm only playing coin flip games. My kid didn't want to go to college anyway. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, M Mirror March, Dana, actually is. So I have it in, I think, two decks. I think I have it in my Brutoclad Permanence deck because I'm desperate to get anything I can. Uh, but I actually do run it in my Gearid deck. And I will say this. Mirror March is a massive feel-bad when you pay six mana and you lose your first flip. Sure. But... Brutoclad, I just have it in there because it is permanent and I need stuff. But actually, I think if you're in a deck that runs green and you are ramping like green does, the six to me actually almost feels like three mana or four just because green goes yeah. so yeah. fast that, you know what? I look at it as a three mana spell really at the end of the day because I, I can get them down turn five or turn four. And if I lose, you know, a few turns in a row, it's whatever because it usually I do get that payoff a little bit later and most people because you're literally losing your flip every time you do it they'll never blow it up it's like I just want to see Dana pull out his hair and get frustrated because he's never he's never winning mirror march but then when you start to win it and they can't interrupt it it's like oh god oh god fanatic amogus is coming yeah it's it's it happens over over and over and over again and that's exactly why I put it in here. We are running 28 creatures. Um, there's going to be a chance that you play this on turn six, and then the next turn you're going to have two chances to go to the gambling saloon. Uh, 
oh, Gamble's not in this deck. That sucks. Uh, <laughs> but that's but that's how that's how it rolls. So that's yeah, that's why that's why I put it in again. Like it's I to me this is like the definition of the spice card. Mm -hmm. um, when it works, it works. When it doesn't. It's just infinite field ads. <laughs> well, Tuck, why don't you give us yours? I feel like you're gonna go with a little ooh ooh ah ah, but we'll see. No, uh, that was a that was my last edition. Oh, the, okay. Uh, the the monkey, uh, just because I was like, why not? But I wanted to do something that was true to my sub theme, and I think that in a level of annoyance, there's only one new mechanic that is more annoying than oh, I already know which one has, you're doing. You have to deal with it every single time. So fresh off the presses, Sunstreak Phoenix, two colorless double red for a 4-2 flyer. If it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as it enters the battlefield. When day becomes night or night becomes day, you may pay one colorless and a red. If you do, return a Sunstreak Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So... Uh, I don't particularly care for the day or night mechanic. I think it's silly, uh, and uh, I don't like to build dust around it. But if I can find a card that forces the entire table to have to care about it and fits the theme of the deck, then I am going to run it. And Sunstreak Phoenix does that with aplomb. It's a 4-2. You can reanimate from the graveyard multiple times, sack it out, do it again when someone else passes the turn because they're playing Teferi, Master of whatever can do planeswalker stuff on other people's turns but there's a chance that it doesn't do anything because day never comes night or vice versa that's why to me it is a spice card but still spicy enough for the deck the, the fact that it's a four two so when it mm -hmm. is working you're yes. getting two tokens every time makes it a lot has a lot more upside than, than it would otherwise if this was a two two wouldn't even thought sure. about it and i looked deep into the phoenixes so dana um would you run this card in the deck? And would the flipping of the day and night be more annoying than saying, are you going to pay one Man, for that? The flipping of the day or night is super annoying. Um, I, I, I'm running, um, I forget the name of it. There's a mana rock that, that has a day or yes! night ability and, and it I loots love it. you a card. Mr. Combo, again, credit where credit's due. Mr. Combo said the Celestis yeah, there is we an all-star. And Mr. Combo, you are not incorrect. It is a that very good card. Is <laughs> but tracking the day or night is pretty frustrating because particularly <laughs> if that's all it's doing is the, is the, the Celestis. <laughs> um, I think my concern about the Phoenixes in general would be the would be I think you need maybe more sack outlets to really take advantage of them. Like that's oh, yeah. relatively easy to do down the road if you think there isn't enough. It's pretty easy to just throw a high market in there in your in your mana base or something if you think you don't have enough. You can do that. There's at least a couple lands you can use, so you don't even have to give up a slot in your in your actual deck. You can find room for things that do that. So. Um, I, I'll, I'll be curious to see how often you could really utilize casting it and recasting it, or if people will just not attack into you because they don't want to give you free tokens. Your thing's going to die. They're going to... Maybe that's enough, too. Like, maybe the fact that you're there in a position where, they're like, if I attack, they're just going to chump block, make two tokens, yeah. and then next turn bring them back anyway, so why bother? I'll talk about the other person instead. Maybe that's maybe that's enough. Yeah. Um, I think this is the one Phoenix that I like the most out of all of them. Um, I'm not talking really? about it, but Skyfire is like pretty interesting because you do get triggers off of Anex dying opposed to just another non-token. Um, so it's like, you know, how much are you going to be like killing Phoenix possibly and like trying to get it to hand and then play it? Um, but yeah, I think this is the one that you're going to get the most utility out of. Four mana is not that big of an investment. Yeah. It's a 4-2. No one cares. 
Um, it's probably only going <laughs> to die from a board wipe. I mean, just being honest. Uh, right. You get to introduce a extremely frustrating mechanic, uh, just because you constantly have to track it. And the uh, barrier to get it back is very low. The two mana. Now, if it had been uh, yeah. like Experimental Frenzy, where it needed to be three colorless red to destroy it, if this was two colorless red red to bring it back, I'd be like, no, trash card, not yeah, not yep. worth it. But two mana, that's that's Agreed. not bad. Well, I went there. We're we're talking Dream Shaper Shaman. Oh, uh, five colorless good. red, five four. Uh, it's an enchantment creature, Minotaur Shaman. It's an uncommon, and it states at the beginning of your end step, you may pay two colorless red and sacrifice a non-land permanent. If you do, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-permanent, non-land permanent card. Put that onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, well, a little FYI, guys. Uh, we don't have any cast triggers in the decks. So we're not going to be whiffing there. <laughs> uh, and the whole deck is permanents. And it does say non-land, so we don't ever have to worry about hitting a basic. So I don't think Dana would even complain if he hit an unstable obelisk. Cool, free mana yeah. rock, and I can destroy right. something. Works for me. Late in the game, maybe he gets Wayfarer's Bobble, and he has Morog out. Okay, that's fine. Let's go with it. There's so many cool things that you can flip off of it. And for me, you could say this is a grain in theory, but for me it's spice just because it is chaos and you don't know what's going to come off the top. Yeah. Uh, and like you're, it, it's kind of self-feeding. You, you sacrifice that first creature. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it may even be four power. You're going to make two tokens. That's giving you the fodder for your next multiple turns. Um, which those things you sacrifice are going to turn into more permanence. Maybe you'll get more creatures. That you, like if you use it once, it's just going to provide itself fuel for any future uses yep. down the road. I, and, I'm, and honestly, I'm looking through the list here. And by the time you've already cast and like thinned out your library, by the time it comes down, I don't know if there's a bad, I don't like the only one I'm thinking that kind of suck would be like underworld breach. Maybe yeah. just because you want to save yeah. that, but I'm just, I'm looking at all the other cards, literally all the other cards on the deck. And I'm like, okay, cool. Soul ring. Always useful. Right. Uh, Ogre battle driver. Nehab. Like it's just banger after banger after banger. Uh, so I'm here for you. You're always going to have your Seder to sacrifice, too. Mm -hmm. there's, there's almost no bad trade, basically. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, um, the, the one thing is I think this also plays, Dana, into how you like to approach games where you want to play, but you want everyone to have fun. And right. this card not just being like, hey, pay three mana and sacrifice, and then you can do it. It's the fact that it's mm -hmm. at end step, not even, you know, before combat. So it kind of, you, you can kind of politic the table and be like, yeah, guys, I know scary stuff can happen, but I get it at my end step. I can't do anything with it until my next right. turn. I'm a permanent deck. And Tuck knows this. I've done that a lot, Dana, with my Brutoclad deck. It's like, it's like, oh my gosh, he has uh, Mimic Vat out. And it's like, yeah, but I'm... What, what am I going to do? Chaos Warp your attacker? Am I going to counterspell? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm permanent. <laughs> I can't do anything. And then people just kind of ignore you. And yeah, I don't win all my games, but I usually get left alone for the most part to where you can kind of be there. And I think Dream Shaper would be a card that once people understand what your deck's doing, it's like, well, let, let them get a couple. Like, if it starts getting out of control, then we'll maybe deal with it. Uh, but, you know... It's, he's waste. He's wasting three mana. He's getting rid of maybe a problematic permanent that I didn't like because it doesn't say it's not one of those shared permanent type things either. So if right, you had right. oh oh my gosh, I didn't even think because I was thinking the one negative would be experimental frenzy because if you had a grip of cards and then you just can't play them, but then you could just pay three sacrifice experimental frenzy to this guy yeah. get a different one. Oh, that's actually pretty cool. Slam dunk. 
slam dunk. Well, guys, that's going to wrap up the spice package. Now we're going to head over to the bottle capping, and Dana Roach is going to cut three cards and add three cards. One will be under five bucks, one will be under 50, and the other has no budget. He just can't add mana only lands. So, Dana, for the under $5, what card do you think in the deck? It might have been cute, but not you. And what card would you add that would cost you less than five Benjamins? So, so I talked about this one already, um, and I, I think I would give the Chandra's Regulator a go. Um, and I think the swap I would probably make is Tectonic Reformation because they're just so similar. Um, same exact CMC. Yeah. Um, Reformation is an enchantment. Each land in your hand has cycling for red. So, you know, if you have excess lands that you've drawn, you can pitch them to draw cards. Um, very similar thing on Chandra's Regulator, although you can only use it once per turn. Um, I, I think that's not a bad trade just just for that ability to ability. They're pretty similar anyway. However, the, the possibility that you'll have Regulator out with a Chandra um, yeah. is just yep. fun. I think that the, the cards are so close, I'm not giving away very much making that upgrade. And... The, the ceiling is much higher. Once in a while, you're going to hit that perfect storm where you've got a Chandra out and you've got the regulator that you were just using for draw anyway, and boom, I'm going to copy abilities and get just even that much more gas. And just blast, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Do you think, Dana, that this kind of all-permanence build, because there there are a lot of artifacts that are, you know, tap and you get to draw cards. Do you think, and, and I get it, it's usually used for broken stuff, but I think you could do it in a very fair manner, but Unwinding Clock? Do you think that'd be worth running so then that way you could do Regulator, the discard Mountain in red, and draw every single turn for one mana? I mean, just that and Soul Ring alone, you, you can kind of start filtering through. And there are yeah. other stuff that could do it. I mean, it's, it's kind of the way I look at um, doing that. It's the same way I look at Conjurer's Closet. And I actually did that while we were recording. We were talking about the Fanatic Amogus. I usually kind of have a rule. I need 10 cards in the deck that sure. kind of work with that obscure thing. And then if so, then yeah, banger, put it in. So yeah, it might be something if you build this and you have a lot of these artifacts that could tap to do things, uh, draw cards, whatever, might look at an unwinding Maybe. clock. Yeah. So th these things are really tricky to, I, I talked about how like you can think you know how a card's going to work, but you have to play test it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. To give you an example... Um, I, I ran Prototype Portal in an artifact deck for a long time. That's a card that's four mana, and it has an imprint. You can imprint an artifact on it, and then you tap it for X, where X is the, the cost of the artifact, and you make a token copy of that artifact. So I ran it in an artifact deck for a long time when the only artifact lands were Darksteel Mutation. It was a two-color deck, so I had <laughs> okay. three, three <laughs> artifact lands, Darksteel Mutation and the, the two appropriate colored ones, which were Seed of the Synod and I forget what the other one was, in, in the, the black one. Um, and, you know, of course, once in a while you'll get Soul Ring. You're like, oh, so yeah. I don't mind paying, paying one to make a Soul Ring each turn or whatever. But, like, the first time I tried it, I was primarily going to use it for the artifact lands. And I'm like, how often am I going to hit one of those artifact lands or a mm -hmm. Soul Ring or something? Like, I don't want to spend five men a turn to make something or, or even three or four. But if I could spend zero or one, that would be great. A shocking amount of times I was able to make those artifact lands. And that was before we got Power Depot and before we got the dual land. Like, there's now, I think, six in a two color deck, six different artifact lands you can run in addition to your soul ring or, you know, maybe Arcane Signet's worth making one every turn as well. Like, there's there were enough targets before. 
I didn't realize it till I tried it. There's more than enough now. So it's one of those things I was just sure there weren't enough and there were. You just have to try it sometimes. So yeah, it maybe just, unwinding clock's out. enough. Like maybe you just have to put it in the deck, give it a few reps and see if it's enough. And then there might be for sure. Cool. Well, under 50 bucks, we're kind of opening up the purse strings a little bit. Uh, what are you going to cut and what are you going to add for under a 50 spot? So so this, this is a, a minor cheat. Uh, when I was first looking at this deck, I bought a card, one card I wanted for this deck. It's a card I'd wanted for years, and it was just under 50 when I bought it at the time off TCG Ooh, Player. Nice. It's oh, now it's, it's going to be $5,000. It's now not $50, but I'm going to count it anyway because it's such a stupid card, and I just want to play it. It's going to go on this deck no matter what. That's Raging River from Unlimited. It is Raging a River. stupid, stupid card Whoa. that isn't even that good. But like uh, when I yeah. decided I wanted to build Anax year, you know, a year ago when I was first tinkering with the deck, I specifically went and got a Raging River because it's such a hilarious card. And rather than read the wall of text on it, <laughs> when you attack someone, they separate their creatures into a left side of the river and a right side of the river pile, basically. And then when you make your attack, you choose which side of the river you're going down. So, oh, they've, they've put this thing in this pile. I don't want to deal with that thing. So my things are going up the other side of the river. And if they are at, you know, one or two creatures, it really limits what they can do to block then. So yeah. I don't think, I mean, you're probably better off with like something like goblin war drums that give menace or something, but I don't care. I specifically bought a raging river <laughs> when it was just affordable because I was like, I, at the time, I thought maybe I would build Anax and do a rule of like only things with double red pips or something to see how big I could get him. So I'm like, oh, Raging <laughs> River. I, I'd always like, that'll work great. So that's what I'm going to use in here because I just have always wanted to play it. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to build this all permanent deck was to have something that I could use Raging River in. Well, the good news is that you almost uh, quadrupled your investment because it's now $177. Yes. <laughs> yep, it's not uh, a so cheap card nowadays. That's fantastic. Uh, what card do you think you would cut from the deck? Because that's an interesting card because that could be like a game winner. And so something that we've experienced, Dana, is when we're doing our cuts, it's like, oh, the card I want to add is a yeast card. And then it's like, well, do I take out of the yeast? Do I do it out of the spice? Because those are the ones that don't really fit. Do I take from another? So I'm curious, what do you think you would want to cut for this Raging River? The the, re the card I think I would cut, and I'm putting a card that I don't think is that great in anyway, but the, the card I'm going to pull is one that I think is inconsistent, and that would be Blood Sun. Um, oh, particularly really? at the At the power mm -hmm. level, I would probably be playing at I, I would guess this deck is just not going to run into very many, you know, core havens or things of that nature that are yeah. worth turning off. Um, if I was playing at a different, if this deck was like a different kind of deck that was playing maybe a little bit stronger, it would make sense. But I would guess this is going to, I'm going to draw this card sometimes and look around and go, it's not going to, this isn't, I mean, I can cast it, but it's not going to, it's not making much difference there are times mm -hmm. it will but there are times it's going to be a whiff too so i i feel like blood sun is maybe the safest cut it's going to be one that i can pull out and and you know i'll miss it once in a while but um there's plenty of times i feel like it it maybe wouldn't make that big of a deal anyway and so this was actually one of my ads and honestly the reason i added it is because in, in our group i am the mana tuned player uh tuck okay. is not 
And so since I had built the deck first, Blood Sun's actually a card that I have been promoting for years for any budget players. If you have a budget mana base, okay. this turns your budget mana base actually really good. Yeah. So I actually thought when he filled out his lands, he would have a bunch of those terrible lands that enter tapped or stuff oh, like sure, that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I was like, oh, Blood Sun will be perfect. It'll solve all those <laughs> shitty lands I know he's going to put in the deck. Little did I know, he did not. Sure, yeah. No, in in that situation, if you're playing like a particularly two-color deck or something with running a bunch of those lands, absolutely. But in yep. this deck, it, you're not going to use it yep. to help yourself at all. It's just going to be used defensively for somebody else. And I think it, it just wouldn't probably make enough of a difference that often that I would feel okay with making the swap. Yeah, I think like in especially like if you're playing like a super budget five mana base where it's all the triomes, all of the other three color lands that all end of the battlefield tapped, then that's kind of worth it. Um, I still like Blood Sun a lot, but yeah, I think Raging River is an interesting enough build or interesting enough card in this build that it would definitely be worth running, especially if you already have. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, all right, man. No budget. The you won the Powerball. And your uh, significant other and your family says you could spend all the money on anything you want, but not a Black Lotus. What legal EDH card uh, are you going to add to the deck? But more importantly, what are you going to cut first? So, so let's let's take a little trip back in time to, um, <laughs> to to back when Battle for Zendikar came out. Okay. And, and suddenly, okay. The, these low cost Eldrazi started just running rampant in. Other formats that they weren't made for, particularly modern, um, they were making old cards that until that point had been ignored, like Eye of Ugin, into absolutely bombs. And we found ourselves in a position um, of dealing with something called Eldrazi Winter, where modern was just terrorized by, by Eye of Ugin in particular and all these Eldrazi. And the, the, the way to combat it was people were leaning even harder into Blood Moon, a card in this deck. Um, I was on EDH night playing just a game with some of my friends at our shop, and a modern player came in, panicked for a tournament this weekend. He can't get any Blood Moons shipped to him in time. They're sold out everywhere. Does the shop have any copies? No, we are all out as well. So the guy stands up on a chair. Does anyone here have <laughs> copies of Blood Moon in a binder? And I was like, I actually have my binder here. And I'm like, hey, I have Blood Moons here. I think I have two in my binder. How many do you need? He's like, I need two. What do you want for them? I'm like, what are you, what are you swapping? What do you have? And he like flips through his binder. And he's like, would you be, would you take a gauntlet of might? What? 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 And, and at the time, and actually the Blood Moons were sitting at like $110, $120. It wasn't a t like st dollar for dollar. It wasn't necessarily a terrible trade for him, but I knew that it was a terrible trade because I'm like, there's just no way that Gauntlet of Might is gonna stay <laughs> at you know 220 bucks, and there's no way Blood Moons are staying at what they're at. Um, so so this this is audio only, but I am holding up for the camera for for the the boys here my Gauntlet Whoa. that I picked up at my, oh my LGS. God. Because I, I happened to have my binder with me, and there was a desperate modern player who needed two Blood Moons. And he's like, here you go. And, and the, the shop owner had his um, little, you know, binocular things that he got out. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's an actual unlimited, you know, it's a legit card. I'm like, all right, good deal. And this, wow. this guy was ecstatic and ran off into the night. Um, and then, like, you know, four <laughs> days later, I of Ugin was banned and, and everything ended. But 
I've had a gauntlet of, of might since then. I've, I've like, at some point I'm going to build a mono red deck and I'm going to run Gauntlet of Might, which is a, a four mana artifact that hasn't been printed since Unlimited. It says all red creatures gain plus one plus one, and all mountains provide an extra red mana when tapped. So are you cutting? You're, are you in spite of the story, or or maybe in support of it? Are you cutting Blood Moon? I I, I make yes, just just, just because wow. <laughs> my salute Blood Moon, you did me well. I can retire you. You've done good work. Gauntlet of Might can go into the deck. So here's the interesting oh, thing, God. though. Blood Moon with Gauntlet of Might. Would actually right. be amazing for your opponents. Hey, yes, I get it. Absolutely, you, you don't Correct. you don't have blue or black anymore. But now you make two red. That's right. exciting. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want everyone else doing that, but yes. Um, so, and those the, for those who don't understand why me and Mister Combo were so surprised. Right now, you can get Blood Moon for around sixteen or seventeen dollars. An unlimited copy of Gauntlet of Might is nine hundred and eleven. <laughs> So it seems like somebody got a kind of a windfall on that I one. Mean, ju just the that dumbest that of dumb luck. That was the the gauntlet of might and running into Sergeant Slaughter in the um, <laughs> at, at the hotel the on a Sunday things night. Ever just in my life. blind, stupid <laughs> luck. So yeah, um, that would be my my no budget card because I don't I don't even need to go get it. I have one thanks to. Eldrazi winner and a panicked modern player. Oh my gosh. My God, that's incredible. Yeah, Tuck, didn't you have a story like that, but it ended up not because like they never showed back up? Wasn't there like a fetch land or a duel or something in Chicago or Fort Collins? Like some guy came in and he was like willing to give you like the trade of the year. And you're like, hell yeah, like I'll do that. And then the guy was like, okay, well, I'll be right back. And then he never showed back up. Something like that? Something like that. Recently, someone was going to sell me a Wheel of Fortune for $80. <laughs> uh, and then that never materialized either. But yeah, there was something like that where it's like, yeah, I happen to have something for Modern for my bulk yeah. binder. And I don't, I know it's, you're right. It's not near as exciting as this one, but that has happened to me before, but only in the negative. Yeah, I, th I think it was like a fetch land. Fetch land. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like a, a Misty Rainforest or uh, um, the, got it, uh, can't think of it. The uh, Demir one. Uh, oh God, what is that? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I, I, I refuse not to live in the past. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, that's the end of the episode. And if you enjoyed it, please leave some feedback. We would love a positive review, uh, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on a podcast platform. Because when you do that, that tells the algorithm and the series of tubes, redacted bit or old bit, um, it, it allows people to, on the internet to find us. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of us, here's how you can do that. You can reach me at MrCombo5 on Twitter, all spelled out except for the five. Big Tuck, you talked about how it was one of your life's regrets joining Twitter. Can people still get a hold of you, though? <laughs> it still is a regret, but I am still on there at BigTuckTweeting on Twitter.com. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if people could have figured it out. I think they just would have, I don't know, gone to the post office and like, I need a Twitter. They're yeah, they're trying. They're like, wait, did he say something about Zanga? We got to track this down. It's the only way to get a hold <laughs> oh, of Oh, I'm so sad that they uh, took down Zanga. All my all my posts were still there. Oh. Uh, you can reach our main account at CMD Tower on Twitter as well. Uh, we will have the deck, Dana's deck list online. Uh, we will have the article. We will have his cuts. Um, plus a whole bunch of other info at cmdtower.com slash BNBE117. Basically, just type in Confusion in the Ranks, Magda, Brazen Outlaw, Dream Shaper, Shaman, Tower.com. Now, 
We could not have done this episode without our amazing audio and video producer, uh, Tcoats, at underscore Tcoats on Twitter. If you are a content creator, if you are someone in the community, just even for fun, you're messing around with video and stuff like that, hit up Tyler. He, he wants to, to see more projects. He wants to help out. And, I mean, he helps multiple people across the community. Uh, he's an absolute gem. Uh, and, if anything, just shoot him a little DM and say, hey, Good job dealing with Big Tuck and Mr. Combo when they ramble on and won't stop talking, just like this sentence that may never end. <laughs> Dana, if people, once again, want to be able to find your content, whether it's at EDH Rec or CMDR Central, or maybe even hit you up on Twitter, how would they do that? Um, super easy to find on Twitter. It's just at Dana Roach. I am very active there as well, so... Um, feel free to to follow me there. I, I'm pretty chatty. You can hear me on EDH Rec um, every single Friday. We release a, a new show on YouTube and on whatever audio um, format you use to listen to podcasts every Friday afternoon there. Commander Central puts out a show every Monday morning. Um, you can hear us there. Again, whatever podcast app you prefer. And just go to EDH Rec or to Commander's Herald and do a search for my name, and you can find articles that I write once a month. Awesome. Dana is great, guys. He is one of the people in the community that I enjoy listening to and seeing comments because he's not just 100% rule zero. We're all friends. He can put some spice together, but he still always wants people to have a good time. Uh, I'm not so much that in part. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> now, if you guys wanted to support us, we talked about it at the top of the show. Head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash cmdtower. Uh, literally, buck a month, 5, 15, or 25. Just kind of depends on what you can afford and what you're comfortable with literally each tier the 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 joining the collective for the dollar gets you all the soft access stuff entered in for deck therapy you get put in for the random voices on traditional brews and builds um you get into the discord and talk with the legends like chuck the slice um maybe even see a random or should we call it a wild squee appears uh, oh, sure. But in the $5 and above tier, we have tons of swag that we hand out. It could be uh, play mats. It could be sleeves. They could be uh, coins, tokens, RK post tokens. I mean, we just have a whole load of crap that we just love to give away to you guys. So please join up so we can redact a bit stuff out of my basement. Now, if you're already an existing member of the collective, just anyone that you want to refer have them join and on Patreon, have them message us, hey, XYZ referred me. Um, and depending on the tier they signed up on, we'll give you some free stuff. We just want to keep growing the community as big as we can. Now, we do have a store, cmdtower.com slash merch. The most exciting thing is that we do have our holiday Jun sweater on sale. Um, and through the end of December, if you use code 2021, I think it's sweater sale i think it's just that simple uh you can put that in checkout uh with a sweater and a pack of our sleeves and we'll actually discount the sleeves down to a dollar 99 so you get a hundred pack of some nice white matte cmd tower sleeves to maybe use for your own say yes to the deck now one thing i hadn't announced i think we've done something on twitter but i haven't announced it on here uh, we should have it on the website now for pre-order. Uh, we have our Bruise and Builds foil playmat, uh, coming in. Uh, Marketing Ross did the art for it. It's very cool. It's constellations, uh, built out of me and Tuck. Of course, I'm groaning and I have a headache. Tuck is as joyous as he ever is. Uh, and then we actually took a custom Bruise and Builds grains, hop yeast, bottle capping spice and turned it into this really cool 
pentagon of foil. It looks really sweet. And of course, just like our normal playmats, it's a white stitched edge. It's a it's a good quality playmat. They're only selling for 25 bucks. Pretty darn cheap. Uh, definitely go get them because once again, just like the sweaters, we only buy so many and then we move on to the next thing. So Dana... The way that we do say yes to the deck is we're gonna recap it because it is oops all permanence with you and anax first we want to get your thoughts on the show thoughts on the deck we built you and then just like those corny shows on uh oxygen will you end up saying yes to the deck so let's first start with your review of the episode and what we built for you first of all in, on kind of a macro level this is a lot of fun. This is a unique thing and a unique way to construct a show that most people aren't doing. It's very difficult to find an interesting niche these days when there's so many commander shows out there. Yes. So being able to listen to a long-form podcast talking about brewing a deck from the ground up isn't something that is available in very many places. So kudos to you guys for coming up with something that's unique and entertaining and useful frankly it's a way to learn while you're also being entertained i think that's that's the most you can hope for and you guys have achieved that um well played infotainment exactly two guests in a row yeah <laughs> so 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 well played there um i i threw together a very rough version of this deck the other night um and by threw together i mean i wanted to play we wanted to try a new deck on camera for the edh rec stream so i basically had adex and i had like the gauntlet and the raging river and I threw lands, and I was, like, flipping through my red cards. <laughs> and it's like, okay, one creature, two creatures. Like, I, I literally grabbed the first it's ex the first 30 creatures it's I exactly came across. exactly this build, yeah. the exact same yeah. one. <laughs> um, and there's some overlap. Like, I got as far as the M's. Like, there's a, there's a Morag in it. And there's, <laughs> sure, there's a, sure. I, I got to the ends because I grabbed two Nehebs, too. So, like, there was quite a bit of overlap, surprisingly enough. A nice. handful of Chandra's. Um, but I, there was no thought put into it, right? Uh, I mean, I just I, I was I was playing the deck. So <laughs> seeing a real version of what the deck looks like, I'm very very interested in, in in actually getting cards that have been logically assigned to the deck for a reason. Versus, <laughs> I, I've got four minutes to throw something together here, and I want to try it out. So let's see what I can come up with just to play it on camera. Um, very very into it, and I'm going to put it together. Nice. Are the so the yes? Pro the answer is the yes. The pro player in our group that recently moved to Pittsburgh, Dana, uh, Forrest Day 2 Wong, uh, he literally did what you did at, I believe it was, Tuck, you're going away party? My going yeah. away party. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The binder, uh, Ultra Budget Brews coined this as binder, binder bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that, that sounds like what you did. Literally, Forrest is there, and he's like, okay. Because um, we were all doing, like, very crappy low power decks just like draft chaff that we put together and he didn't have anything and he's like okay i could do it give me some binders and he literally in 15 minutes built a deck and dana i kid you not the rest of us it's the decks that we played we had played for probably months they were just our very low power decks he built a low power deck or binder bullshit deck and dominated us from beginning nice. to end <laughs> uh it was terrifying and so now if anyone ever says oh i just threw it together uh, I pucker up a little bit because <laughs> I have a little bit of PTSD. <laughs> but I'm excited. I'm glad you said yes to the deck. Uh, that That is exactly what we're looking for. I think Anex on one arm and Chandra on the other arm with you, that's going to look great go. at the Winter Ball. I, I'm and into then it. you have a phoenix as on the, the shoulder, uh, right? As your gown, there, yeah, yeah, exactly. Wait, do a we, phoenix on each shoulder. Did we just describe uh, Ewan McGregor and uh, a Dumbledore? <laughs> 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 Lord. Well, guys, 
Thanks for tuning in. And as always, good night. Good night. Good night.